With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. See, so when black people say, well, I'm not going to be involved in no blackness and all like that, see, I know where it's going because, I see, I tried that right from the beginning. That's how I got started. I don't, I'm trying to get, I'm going to run away from this thing called racism. But I found that there was no place to run. That was my ambition when I started out. You know, I wanted to be a cartoonist. So I found out because of racism, that was a you know, that was a problem. That became a problem with uh, which Mr. Magruder. See, wh- wh- my characters are going to be black. So I'm reacting to racism right there, okay? Mr. Aaron Magruder and Boondocks. Yes, sir. See what I mean? So, you know, hey, it's nowhere to run. See, so I, I gave up the idea of being a cartoonist. So I said, well, now what am I going to be? I don't know, but I know that I'm going to find some place where color don't make no difference. Yeah, I work about 32 jobs over the course of a week. I think it's interesting I got 32 jobs and most niggas say they can't find one. (laughs) Niggas. You're familiar with Bambi, right? Burr. Burr. Look, he's starting to talk. The 1942 Disney movie turned the cute little deer into an American classic. But did you know that a lot of the art in that Oscar-winning film was actually inspired by Chinese landscapes? That's because one of the animators was a Chinese immigrant named Tyrus Wong. He died last week at the age of 106. Pamela Tom is a director who spent 17 years making a documentary about Tyrus Wong. I want to reference a quote that appears in my film, and it's by Tyrus, and he says, if you can make a painting with five strokes instead of ten, you can make your painting sing. And that captures so beautifully his philosophy and approach towards art. It's less is more, 
it's very painterly, very ethereal, very impressionistic. And that's what he brought to Bambi. So if you go back, it looks like a Chinese landscape painting. Which makes sense when you know about his life. He immigrated to the U.S. in 1920, and this was not an easy time for Chinese people to come to the United States. Tell us a little bit about his journey. Yeah, um, so there was, you know, a lot of political turmoil in China at the time, and his father decided to bring Tyrus to America for better opportunities. The Chinese Exclusion Act was in force, which barred the immigration of all Chinese to the U.S., except for a very small number of classes, which was, you know, minister, student, diplomat, and a merchant. So they came over under false papers. Uh, They were pretending to be merchants. So it was a very frightening first entry into the U.S. And he grew up where? They originally went to Sacramento, which was nearby San Francisco. But, you know, his father, it was difficult for him to find work. So he went to Los Angeles and left Tyrus alone to live in a boarding house in a dark alley in Sacramento. And naturally, you know, as a young boy, he started skipping school. Um, He was not all that interested in academics. And he just was kind of uh, goofing off and uh, working actually at a grocery, trying to pay off the cost of his ticket to the U.S., But when he started failing in school, his father sent him $20 and ordered him to get on the next train to Los Angeles. And so he was reunited with his father, was greeted with a with a couple of slaps across the face for being such a, you know, (laughs) this guy can't um, get a break. I know. I know. And uh, so it was in middle school. He was going to Benjamin Franklin Middle School in Pasadena, where his teachers recognized his talents and suggested that he try to get a, a scholarship to Otis Art Institute. Um, pursuing art, becoming an artist was probably the least plausible pursuit you could have, you know, imagined. His father had to borrow $90, which was a princely sum to get him through his first semester at art school. You know, after that, he was able to get full scholarships. So his father not only went out and borrowed that money, but he made Tyrus practice his calligraphy every single night when he came home. They lived in this tiny, you know, boarding house, and they didn't have money for paper, they didn't have money for ink. So he had Tyrus practice his calligraphy by dipping a brush in water and leaving imprints and impressions on newspapers. So he could not have done this without his father's support. Wow. And he eventually makes his way to Disney, which is a story in itself. What was it like for him to be a a Chinese artist at Disney? Well, he was one of very, very few. He was the first to work in the animation department, and he entered as a lowly in-betweener, which was your sort of entry-level job. And, you know, he learned that Bambi was in pre-production, and he got the book, he read the book by Felix Salton, and went home, and on the weekends and at night, he would just draw these sketches, these little small little paintings that captured the feeling of the forest. And he brought them back to his boss, who was uh, Tom Codrick, the art director on Bambi, and showed them to him. And uh, Tom Codrick brought them to Walt Disney's attention. And when he saw them, uh, Walt said, this is it. This is the look. So Tyrus was immediately promoted to uh, what was called, you know, an inspirational sketch artist. He would create the look and the feel. And based on those paintings, everything else followed. 
And it sounds, I mean, it's such a great uh, title, Inspirational Sketch Artist. It sounds like his talent was recognized. Did he get his due at Disney, though? He was recognized by the artist there. But in the film itself, his credit was one of many background artists. So in a way, publicly, it really wasn't until decades later when books were starting to be written about him and stories that his the full weight of his contributions were acknowledged and recognized. Do you want to say more about, I mean, that what was the role of race in the trajectory of his life and the kind of unseen, unsung aspects of his career? Yeah, any other person would have been thwarted by the racism, the discrimination. At Republic Pictures, he was on his first day of work, the head of the department called him a chink. This is something he had to bear day in and day out throughout his career. He couldn't buy a house, you know, until the laws were changed in California that allowed Chinese and other minorities to own property. But I think that it was his that strong, singular drive to create and to paint and to draw and to, you know, share the world as he saw it is what got him through that. What was he like to be with? Oh, you know, it's like I get tears in my eyes when I think about him and that I will no longer have the gift of being in his presence. He always, always gave. He would give his art away. I mean, he gave his time. He gave his love. He gave his talents. He, he was just that kind of person. And he was just an incredibly rare uh, human being and spirit. Personally, for you, what do you draw from him? What, how has he affected your career your sense of self? You know, I was drawn to him because we as minorities working in the arts, or any person working in the arts, you want to believe that your dreams are possible, <laughs> that it's not pursuing a dead end. You know, you, all, you hear enough no's your whole life. To encounter Tyrus, to learn about him, to see what he achieved, just gave me so much hope and faith that this pursuit of creating and being an artist is worthwhile and possible. And that's what I want to share with others by telling his story. And I think it's been affecting people in that way. Well, thank you so much for telling us about him. Pamela Tom is the director of the documentary film Tyrus. Thank you for having me. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, January 5th, 2017. So I have been told, I hope everyone made it uh, safely through all of the New Year's festivities. Hope you remained sober and have been constructive for the early going of 2020. One seven. This is workplace racism. We do this every Thursday. Uh, I consistently have people who write in uh, and say that they want to share for workplace racism, but they don't know uh, when it comes on. It's the same time every week, every Thursday. I think we've been at it for uh, seven months now. Haven't missed the Thursday. Every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. 6 p.m. Mountain, 5 p.m. Pacific, every Thursday, workplace racism. There you go. 
<laughs> uh, but if you have commentary you would like to share, certainly we always encourage if you are a black person and you are what they call self-employed uh, and you have seen the difference in how working for yourself uh, how that alters uh, the landscape in terms of your job situation and how you deal uh, with other whites. Certainly, uh, we want to hear about those experiences in detail. Uh, if you have problems, uh, if you have figured out some codification that works uh, to minimize conflict, problems, uh, reduce you know any issues on the job so you can go in, pleasantness, not be bothered, get all of your raises on time, promotions, and just go on about and have a great career that's exactly what we need so dial in the number 641-715-3640 the code 564-943-POUND press star 6 if you would like to participate a few things that I will get to uh, before we get to folks who called in the clip that you heard at the beginning, uh, I posted, there were many articles uh, about Mr. Wong and his work uh, on Bambi uh, and at Disney on the whole. Uh, he was, you know, well recognized later uh, in life, uh, being <laughs> living more than a century, uh, I would hope so. Uh, but most of the articles, or I think the first article that I saw in the New York Times, it was directly relinked to racism, white supremacy. Uh, and they were just talking about all of the abuse that he experienced throughout his career, even though he did all of this uh, amazing artwork that made so much money uh, for racists uh, at Walt Disney. Uh, but I saw the article and I posted it. I think it was after our workplace racism program last week that they had the report in the New York Times. So I posted it, but I said, that is, that is total workplace racism. And for people who have a good memory, this past summer, uh, Frank Norman, black male, also uh, works at Disney, and he has worked on all of these projects. He's been there for years, just numerous, uh, huge mega hits that they've had at Disney. Same thing where they made all of this money and they like threw him in the back in some office. And they same thing. They talked about all the abuses of black male, all the abuse that he experienced. And ultimately, he's older now. He's still alive. And he said he didn't want to retire. He reached the age. And they were just like, well, you know, roll on out of here, Frank. We're, we're done with you. You've made us enough money. You can go on, you know, pick cotton, do whatever you're going to do. And he didn't want to he didn't want to do that. That happens with a lot of folks when they get older. They want to stay active. So he kept coming back to the studio and and they just kind of put him in a little closet room, you know, in the back. And they they called it floitering. I think Thomas in New York sent that link. But I played that clip this past summer uh, with the intro where Mr. Fuller was talking about he wanted to be an animator, but you're not going to get away from racism. Same thing. And even from the New York Times article, uh, that report that you just heard, that was from uh, PRI, Public Radio International. But the New York Times article, I'm just going to read a little bit because they had a little bit more detail. Uh, I'm not reading the whole report. I'm just kind of skipping through. Uh, they write, in the years that followed, Mr. Wong endured poverty, white supremacy, and chronic lack of recognition, not only for his work at Disney, but also for his fine art before finding acclaim in his 90s. Mr. Wong died on Friday at 106, a Hollywood studio artist, painter, printmaker, calligrapher, greeting card illustrator, and in later years, maker of fantastical kites. He was one of the most celebrated Chinese-American artists of the 20th century. But because 
of white supremacy to which Asian Americans were long subject, he passed much of his career unknown to the general public. Artistic recognition, when Mr. Wong did find it, was all the more noteworthy for the fact that among Chinese immigrant men of his generation, professional prospects were largely limited to menial jobs like houseboy and laundry man. Should be laundry boy too, I would think. Then there was the affront of the in-betweeners job itself. So I'm skipping down and now they're talking about his career once he starts working at Walt Disney. So his career as an in-betweeners job itself, painstaking, repetitive, and for Mr. Wong, quickly soul-numbing. It is the assembly line work of animation, a terrible use of his talents and as a landscape artist and a painter, Mr. Canemaker said, this is someone who had worked on uh, researching uh, Mr. Wong's life and all of his contributions. All of that should sound painfully familiar to many of our listeners, being astronomically brilliant and talented and having all of that wasted in the system of white supremacy. Continuing, they write, Walt Disney went crazy over him, said Mr. Canemaker, who wrote about Mr. Wong in his book, Before the Animation Begins, The Art and Lives of Disney Inspirational Sketch Artists. This came out in 1996. He said, I love this indefinite quality, the mysterious quality of the forest. Mr. Wong was unofficially promoted to the rank of inspirational sketch artist. But he was more than that, Mr. Canemaker explained. He was the designer, he was the person they went to when they had questions about the color and how to lay something out. He even influenced the music and the special effects. Just by the look of the drawings, he inspired people. Mr. Wong spent two years painting the illustrations that would inform every aspect of Bambi. Throughout the finished film lent a brooding quality by its stark landscapes, misty, Desaturated palettes and figures often seen in silhouettes, his influence is unmistakable. But in 1941, in wake of a bitter employee's strike that year, Disney fired Mr. Wong, though he had chosen not to strike. He felt the studio had been good to him, Mr. Canemaker said. He was let go amid the lingering climate of post-strike resentments. Hmm. On Bambi, Mr. Wong's name appears quite far down in the credits as a mere background artist. Mr. Wong joined Warner Brothers in 1942, working there and lent out an occasion to other studios until his retirement in 1968. Lent out almost sounds like I'm reading Edward Baptist where, uh, here, this is my nigra. He's pretty good. I'll uh, let you borrow him for uh, a week, do whatever you want, and then just bring my nigra back. Uh, the last portion it reads, uh, the indignities he endured were not confined to the studios. Trying to buy a house, he and his wife, the former Ruth Kim, were told that each property they inquired about had just been sold. Then in a month, you'd go back there and the sign was still there. Mr. Wong recalled in Tyrus, which is uh, a documentary film uh, about Mr. Wong's life and his work at Disney and what have you. And the white supremacy he experienced. But that was the New York Times, the New York Times piece, which really at its core uh, was about the racism uh, that this non-white male endured, even though he was spectacularly skilled, brilliant artist, made them all this money. You're still just a nigger. Don't forget that you might be 
a yellow Negro. Negro nonetheless. System of white supremacy. Negro nonetheless. With that, um, if folks have commentary they would like to share, uh, we actually, one of our listeners uh, in the UK, uh, actually, she had a significant work. Well, actually, I forgot. We have other UK listeners and folks out the, outside the States who do listen to workplace racism, and they have written in. Obviously, it's more difficult for them to participate live, but they have written in uh, to discuss some of the problems. I think we had one of our listeners in the UK. She wrote with the situation uh, about getting uh, packages uh, sent to the job and white people kind of looking at her or some type of way about that. That was, uh, I think, a few weeks back uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, but we had a different uh, non-white person, black female in the UK, and she had been talking about uh, her work experience, uh, treachery of white women, and the same thing that you heard with Mr. Wong, just not being valued, uh, where you, you come in and you do the work of 12 people. You know, you work all day long. You're not loafing. You're really, you know, investing yourself in this and, and just trying to do the best job that you can. And it's paying off. Same with Mr. Wong. It is paying off. Walt Disney is, you know, they came up off of Bambi, did pretty well, still making lots of nickels off of that. Uh, but it was a black female in the UK. She was saying the same thing, that she was putting all this time and energy uh, for this place where she was working at and just not really being valued. And I think that as I stated, as I was reading that New York Times article, I think that will be painfully familiar for a lot of black people. Uh, the only other quick thing I, I will get in, I could have, uh, because a listener put it in my hand, uh, fences with Viola Davis and Denzel Washington. I could have easily constructed an opening segment of audio clips from fences that are all about workplace racism. In fact, the, the whole movie begins with uh, Denzel Washington's character, Troy. Uh, he's a sanitation worker and him questions. I say it was beautiful. I might probably have to play it next week, but uh, they're working uh, on the garbage truck and uh, he's, he's being questioned by his non-white friend, black male about whether he's going to get in trouble and is he going to get fired because you've been down there getting at them white people. And he said, fire me for what? All I did was ask a question. Are white people the only employees capable of driving a truck? Do black people have to stay on the back of the truck to do the garbage? Is that in the rules? Question. Didn't make any statements. He just asked two questions. He said, how am I going to get fired for asking a question? I said, oh my God, they are listening to workplace racism on the cows. But I will have to uh, put that in. It comes up quite a few times throughout the film. Workplace racism. Black people having trouble uh, on the job. You can just expect that in the system of white supremacy. Uh, I will again emphasize, uh, and it's just for this program. This is not a program to spectate. You know, you can go to the movies if you need to catch Rogue One, Fences, Hidden Figures, whatever it is. You can go to the movies and spectate. Counter racism is not about spectating and particularly workplace racism. Uh, that is something that everybody it should not be that we just have people who hang out and lollygag uh, for this program to just, oh, I just want to hear what these folks have to say. It's so entertaining. This is great. Uh, while I wait for scandal, you know, to come back or whatever I'd be doing with my Thursday, that should not be workplace racism. I think any, any black person in particular, if you're non-white, period, Mr. Wong, uh, if you're non-white, if you have worked at all or think that you might have to do some work, even if it's having your own business, racism, white supremacy is still going to be a problem 
for you. <laughs> I mean, even if you become president, racism, white supremacy is still going to be a problem for you on the job. There should be no way that we have people listening to this program and saying, wow, that's so interesting. All of these different experiences. I've never had any of these problems. I've never seen any of these issues. I submit that it's just not possible. Dr. Welsing used to say that all the time, even if it's reflecting, even if things are, you know, relatively calm on your job right now nobody you know is messing with you and sabotaging your work area or messing up your work schedule so you're coming in different hours each and every day and never knowing when you're going to work even if things are relatively peaceful right now you have had a job in your existence where you have experienced racism even if you didn't know that was the case then i think that is constructive in fact i would encourage that's one of the ways that i think we can Make progress with workplace racism. Just reflect on our own work experience. We're all still learning. So you can look at the time. Okay, I was more confused then. I had white friends. I was going to the Christmas parties and getting drunk or whatever. I wasn't codified. And this is what happened in this situation. These are the things that I would do differently. These are things that I would say. These are things that I would not say. These are things I would do. Things I would not do that I think would give a drastically different outcome for how things evolved when I was more confused, just reflecting. And you can use, you know, this platform as well. I know it's not uh, the most proud moment to talk about times where we were terrorized uh, or confused uh, or our finances and career in jeopardy uh, based on things that racists have done to us on the job. But I think just reflecting on that, I think we can uh, develop strategies. We can learn from it. And I think it's very helpful for other victims of racism to hear no, this is not anything that is specific to you. It's nothing defective about you. It's nothing incompetent about you. White people are dedicated to practicing racism and they do a lot of the same things. They employ a lot of the same techniques. They even have conference calls and what have you and swap techniques about how to abuse their niggers. They've been doing this for years and I can Edward Baptist again because he has that explicitly in his text the half has never been told about whites getting together to swap stories about you know ways to punish and abuse niggers managing the plantation with that the number again six four one seven one five three six four zero the code five six four nine four three pound press star six if you would like to participate same as always if you are not able to participate uh, or if you for whatever reason are not able to call in but if you want to share via email the email is untiljustice at gmail.com drop me an email and we can read it anonymously whatever your situation is we can read anonymously on the program and get feedback from uh, callers myself uh, or just you know if it's something that you just think uh, listeners should think about uh, if folks have uh, thoughts going into the new year as they say uh, about things that you're working on if you have goals uh, in terms of your counter racist code for the workplace that would be grand to hear as well everyone who dialed in with a hand up line should be open feel free to chime in can I be heard Yes, ma'am. Greetings, beautiful people. Uh, this is 1842. Um, but also, just before I start talking about other stuff, you can also call me Emmy. That's fine, too, um, just so I'm not going by a number. I've been participating in the cows for a little time now, so it's just weird being a number all the time. 
Um, but anyway, at any rate, um, I'll kind of echo what Gus said just because I think it's something that's been, not I think, it has been something that's absolutely transformative for me uh, towards the end of 2016 and as I prepare to enter into the next 365. I don't know everyone who's ever listened and all of that kind of good stuff, but I was shy at first um, sharing, but it even not knowing exactly what to say or thinking others might judge me, I would just extend it and say that out of all of the people that I've spoken with and listened to, I don't think that they would judge. So I would definitely encourage people who may like be on the other end and just haven't dialed in to share or um, introduce yourself or anything. I would, I would say do so if in 2017 there's, don't feel funny at all. I think that they're a wonderful group of people who would be happy to listen and provide any constructive feedback that they can. With that, um, I'll give you a couple of notes um, that I took over some of the things that I've been going through. But if there's time much later, because I'm currently not at the house and not I don't have my hands on my journal, I would like to share. Gus once mentioned um, revisiting some of these traumatic experiences that we've had and thinking about them and writing them out and saying, you know, what happened, uh, what we did, um, how we felt, what we would do now uh, with our codification and, and things like that. And I took him up on that because I had one experience, which I did share with y'all, but that was so piecemeal because it just came to me. It hadn't, I hadn't sat down and actually opened up the compartmentalization I had done and really pulled out. So it took me days to, cause I like couldn't even take it. I sat it down and came back just because it was so much. I'd be right. I was like, Oh yeah, this person did this. And Oh yeah, this person said this. So if there's time much later um, and if you all are willing, I'd be happy to share a little bit of that traumatic experience. Cause it was, it definitely made me feel so much better, so much more secure in myself. Um, for many reasons, um, and so much more clear because I had revisited that situation. But I don't have the journal, so I can't do it right now. Okay, so I told you all that um, I'm leaving, so I was nervous, but I put in my two weeks. I let everybody know. Um, I know I had been practicing a codification that when it finally came out, didn't, like when people asked me the question, um, that codification kind of went out the window. <laughs> it was It was more... Um, linear than how I swung it, um, but I still haven't told anybody where I'm going or what I'm doing, which I think is the foundation of my codification. That's no one's business. And so however people ask, depending on who that person is, it just comes out like, I'm not telling y'all where I'm going. That's my personal business. And if they pursue, then I get the serious voice and I say, no, it's my business and I don't have to tell anyone what I'm doing or where I'm going. And then I just look at them and that's the beginning and the end. Black or excuse me, non-white or white. I don't care. I don't need anyone, even the people that think they know me. Um, a couple of things, and ever since I did that, it's funny because, you know, I told them in person, I'm contracted, so I told the property management company in person, I wasn't going to, but I told them. And it was just like silent. And I just, what I realized, like I won't go into it because I don't want to take up too much time, but what I realized in that moment is that I had already known they were lying to me, but it solidified that 
people are not, they are not going to pay you if you're doing anything for free. They will milk that to the end. Now that they know I'm leaving, there's all this talk of, well, can we get you to stay? Maybe we can do a virtual concierge situation if you can at least come in once a week. Maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do that. And, you know, I've resigned and resolved to be done 100%. I'm open to exploring possibilities because I'm in a more pop, not it's not necessarily powerful, but I'm in a more strategic position to negotiate what could potentially work well for me. However, if this doesn't, I'm good moving on um, and doing what it is that I'm ready to do. And so it was very interesting because the way that they began to treat me uh, one day, um, I wasn't supposed to be in the building, but I was there because I was running errands in the city and the assistant came in and spoke with the security officer and was like, what is she doing here? An earshot of me and everything. And I was like, excuse me, you know, wow. Didn't even speak to me. And now no one speaks to me. Like they're not saying good morning or anything like that. Um, I don't care. That's, that's to be expected. And it doesn't phase me at all. Um, I just wanted to, uh, to share that. And then, um, one thing I will confess to you on the line, you know, I make it an attempt to be as transparent as possible. What I realized in this entire process, because I told you I had a lot of anxiety, I had a lot of anxiety about each part of it from um, like really just making the step, really doing it, believing that I could do it, to letting my company know, because I'm contracted, letting my company know, talking with the property managers, like I was avoiding all morning, like the entire thing. And it just solidified for me clarified for me the level of my own programming, the level of my own indoctrination, especially fear around what if I can't do this or what if this turns out badly or even something as like infantile as what if they're mad at me or they don't like me anymore, despite what I know about white people or my own personal conclusions about white people, despite my uh, clarification and understanding of racism and white supremacy. These are thoughts that I was generally having. And I was talking with people as much as I could to kind of get over it and doing a lot of personal work and um, things like that to make sure that, you know, no, screw that. I'm going to like fighting my own programming, but it was there. And uh, now that it's done, you know, I'm definitely like far more confident. My level of black self-respect is um, much improved. But um, another thing that I'll, like, advice to any young people who might be listening, in the past when things would hit the fan, because I never really rocked with white people anyway, so I would get frustrated, and what would happen is each time, and I observed this in my journaling, each time I would leave that situation, but I would burn that bridge. Like, I would burn the whole thing down. Like, it, there was no, like, so I really couldn't use that reference or that, you know, all that experience. And so at this time, I did it correctly, I and. Uh, asked people older than me for advice. I took the constructive feedback that I got from Cal's listeners and Gus, and I did it what I consider to be the correct way, as I think Mr. Neely Fuller Jr. would say, doing it the proper, the professional way, being courteous, you know, putting things in writing, just being very, very professional about it. So even as their animosity is high, I remain professional, and it's it may not be the most powerful piece, but it is definitely empowering to do it the correct way. They could still choose not to give me an outstanding recommendation or whatever, but it won't be because we had a blowout and I was completely uncodified and this everything hit the fan and it was just so dramatic. And I mean, and I've had that experience a couple of times because I'm fiery by nature and I, when I get frustrated, that's it. And next thing you know, all is lost all of that time. And the older you get, the harder it is to... 
um, build on, because people are like, what's up with all these gaps? We can't talk to this, this person, you know. So for the young people, like, if a situation is not good and you know you have to leave, um, I would recommend that you strategize and that you do it the proper way. And if you're not sure what the proper way is, I would say, chime into the cows, ask people who are professional, who are older than you, Google it, ask for the help that you need so that you can make sure that you have a solid resume, that you have a solid work history. Um, as it gets harder to find employment, I think that that is just a very powerful strategic place to be. And this is the first time I can tell you, um, and I'm in my late 20s, like the first time that I've done it the right way and it feels so good. Two weeks, that's it find somebody, I'll train them. If not, it's whatever. I'm clearing my stuff. I'm out. Peace. Thank you. It was great. Bam. And it's over. And it just, it feels good. And I wanted to share that. And then the last thing that I'll share um, is um, Gus mentions this on a couple of the other calls that we've had about just taking some notes. Even it doesn't have to be like a whole 10 page journal entry, but I've made it a point in 2017. You all can hold me accountable just because I'm have at least told you so I'll hold myself accountable. Um, I take notes every night. I don't care if I'm dead tired when I get in the bed. I'm like, this happened, this happened, this happened, about my day in general, but also about what I observed about white people, specifically in the workplace, because the older I get, I don't want to continue to make the same mistakes. I don't want to be um, a fool in, being, in regressing or anything. I just want to build. So that's one of the things that I have been consistent with every day. I have my journal, my fancy, not fancy, but colorful gel pens, and I'm like writing my notes and I make it a thing. And that way it can also link my memory so that I don't have gaps and I don't feel like I need to compartmentalize and I can make sure that the traumas that I experience, whether they're microaggressive or, you know, obtuse, are noted and I'm not going crazy and I'm secure in knowing that I'm attending to reality. I'm here. This is what's happening. And next. So thank you all. If there's time later, I'll share. I hope everyone is well. Thank you for letting me share. Right. Right on, Emmy. Uh, did we miss someone? Uh, was someone speaking up? May I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, greetings, Gus, and to the listeners of Lemaine from Kansas City. I wanted to share my experience from my workplace, being self-employed. It's um, it's always a roller coaster. Every single week is different, and there's always some other white foolery that I'm having to deal with. Um, before I got started with my my um, experiences, I just wanted to say, for me, uh, I, I do appreciate the previous caller, um, the small victories. I, I just feel so good to hear. I think um, I had that experience too, where I had to go about it in a more methodical way, as opposed to storming out and cursing everyone out. Um, it's not a good strategy for non-white people, specifically black people, because the system will always take retribution or action, punitive action um, for that, as it already does on a daily basis. So it, it just compounds our, our issues and not creating more problems. I've also been trying to remember to get to sleep earlier that has helped me to be more clear and alert the next day, as opposed to going to sleep late at night. I've been targeting 10 PM. I haven't been hitting it every single day, but just being mindful of it has allowed me to get more sleep and to wake up to be productive earlier. Some people are better in the morning. I'm not really. So it's been really good for me to um, be alert to deal with uh, white dominators 
and, and be conscious of what's going on as opposed to being tired. So I just wanted to give that to any other listeners. I have a client who I've spoken about previously. It's a South African woman. Um, it just, it just continues on. I believe it's probably at this point, at this point, maybe a form of like subtle, if not open abuse, but she keeps calling me back to do work. So apparently, I mean, I do good work. So I'm being called back to do work. The work is usually easy money. Um, that is very difficult to say no to. Um, of course, the dilemma of being self-employed or working for a uh, employee, employer, we, we always seem to find ourselves in this position. But I was called back to do some work um, and to hang a television, to be specific. And her husband happened to be there, and I had never met her husband before. This is the hunter who likes to hang um, dead animals in the house. He was there working, I, you know, walk in, very cordial with him. Don't speak, just get to work. Um, you know, he made some comments, nothing uh, specifically towards me, but she had told me that her husband was a African, uh, a boar to be specific. And he held his boar cultural identity extremely important, very close to him. So basically to me, that just told me he was a very refined slash brutal white supremacist. Um, given the histories of the Boers in South Africa. Um, he made a few jokes regarding his wife. I didn't say anything. I kept it short. I was able to leave the encounter without any issue. Um, and again, she gave me another story about him in the past in South Africa. But she did share with me a specific story when we were talking about, um, she said she's a part of a group called the Pantsuit Nation, which I believe they're Hillary Clinton supporters um, and mostly white women. And she felt that they were worried. She went to a few meetings and she was explaining this to me because um, our conversations always seem to devolve into race, which I find interesting. But with white people, I really don't think there's anything else they'd rather talk about. That has been my experience. Um, so this conversation devolved slash evolved into race. And she told me about um, her joining the Pantsuit Nation to try to help counter 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 the influence of Donald Trump. Essentially, she felt that racism had taken over in the country almost like it had in South Africa in the past. Um, then she proceeded to tell me why she felt so strongly about racism because the first time she had a racist experience was when she was 15 years old and a black dignitary student um, became her best friend in South Africa and how she could not get into the movie theater with her black friend when she was 15. Now she's 50 years old. So if you just do the math, that means that this woman was, you know, this was 35 years ago when this incident happened, um, you know, mid or so eighties and how she was uh, not allowed to enter the movie theater with her black friend, um, quote unquote, black friend. That really told me two things I, I got from that one. This woman is obviously practicing racism because she did not understand racism for the first time at 15 years of age blatant act of, of, of deception. And secondly, she was being reminded. It wasn't like the system was telling her, no, you can't bring that note. The person at the theater was just reminding her how she should behave. Again, reinforcing that white people are not ignorant of the system. Um, she supposedly lamented the situation and stuck with her for the rest of her life. What I did take away from this conversation, I did develop a new code that I will not explain my thoughts on racism, white supremacy to a white dominator. It is futile, my reasoning is, it's futile for a non-white person to attempt to explain their thoughts on racism to a white person because white people know the system 
better than any non-white person could know. Um, since we're in a system of racism, white supremacy, it's not necessarily a eureka moment for many people listening, but I believe that that was extremely um, important to me to understand. I should never be explaining my thoughts on racism. I should be listening to them, but never explaining my thoughts. Um, I asked her if she was going, well, she, yeah, I asked her if she was going to the White Privilege Conference, which I believe is being held in Kansas City this year. I, I wish to attend a few sessions. If anybody who's listening might be coming to uh, Kansas City for that, I want to attend a few sessions. This guy, I've never been to one before. She said that she was interested and likely will. She is in academia. My next experience, um, my final experience, is with a client um, who is a um, gay white man, quote-unquote gay white man. Um, he's from Indiana. He has a non-white partner. Um, and today, for the first time, I met his non-white partner while doing a repair at his home. Um, extremely cheery, you know, supposedly cheery, uh, non-white, black male. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're cordial to me. They're kind to me. I, I'm always um, leery of that type of behavior, specifically from white people. Um, he did tell me that he was going to go to the White Pilgrims Conference this year um, because he is a um, quote-unquote um, advocate for LGBTQ rights, and, and you know, he fights for them, he speaks for them. And he also was a, a Christian minister. He was a former Christian minister, as was I. So sometimes we, our, our conversation, um, he'll, you know, he started bringing up politics. I think I was under the sink on a working on something, started bringing up politics and Trump. You know, of course, he, he strongly about Trump. And, um, and he started talking to me about, you know, how afraid he was of what he's going to do. And he felt afraid for the first time, which I believe is not being truthful. Um, I believe there's, is, he's saying that we're behind on civil rights. He kept saying that we've, we're behind on civil rights and we're in the civil rights period. We're going into the second phase of it, which again, I believe just wasn't being truthful and was trying to practice deception with me. Um, the conversation got really, it really broke down when I told him, um, he, you know, he told me that he believes the world is coming to an end like the Bible says. And I said that I believe the war of Armageddon was actually the war to destroy white supremacy. <laughs> and he stopped and looked at me, um, like paused, shocked that I would say something so short, so, so poignant. And um, I believe he understood, he was in shock because he believed the assumption that he would be included in those destroyed um, as a person who was practicing racism, a white um, person. Um, it's interesting to watch the expressions of the dominators when they're talking to us, and I believe that that's a very important part of what all non-white people should be doing in their daily codification, specifically when dealing, watching their expressions carefully and not just throwing words at them. It's helped me to be more cognizant that um, when they're practicing racism actively and try to um, remove myself from the situation um, and other uh, interventions on a daily basis when I notice that's happening, I'll take my call off the line. Thank you. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, I will just get in uh, briefly in terms of your uh, I think you said for I guess for listeners, it might not be a eureka moment or what have you, but it was for you just, you know, improving your codification as you go along to not explain your feelings or thoughts uh, to racists. I completely agree. Uh, it's not there's just no point to it at all. White people are not 
ignorant about racism and your whatever you say is not going to get them to stop terrorizing black people, non-white people. So absolutely, I, I agree with that uh, completely. And I think there have even been some times when uh, we've had whites on the program and they ask me to explain something and I refuse to do so. And it wasn't, you know, like a, a big to do. It's just, no, that's not something I engage in. Next question doesn't have to be a big production you can just keep it moving uh on to the next uh thing in fact one of the ratios i I use when i'm talking to white people to make sure i'm not talking too much or just trying to give all my thoughts and feelings i should be asking more questions than making statements if i'm not asking a lot of questions probably not uh doing a good job controlling compensatory conversation control i think is the way mr fuller calls it um, to the last point, it, I, I guess since you're you're working in these people's residences and what have you, so that shifts things drastically as opposed to like being in an office setting or on a construction site or wherever or wherever else uh, when the work environment is actually that racist's residence, their house. Uh, I would probably still say I wouldn't I would make sure I'm not the person bringing up racism and I probably still would not share any of my thoughts or views on racism. That's just a pretty staple part of my code to not talk about racism on the job. If, if others bring it up and they want to say whatever they say, great. The most I might do is ask a question, but I generally, uh, think it's the, the, the route to go. I found to minimize conflict to, to make sure that I'm not the one talking about racism at all, uh, on the job around white people or non-white people. Uh, other folks that we have not heard from, if you have questions about what you've heard thus far, or if you have your own situation, uh, you would like to discuss, Line should be open. Feel free. No spectating. <clears throat> Greetings, Club Heard. Yes, sir. Uh, I think I heard the last caller mention about uh, proper rest and uh, kind of like uh, conditioning oneself to uh, uh, go to bed uh, to get your rest at a uh, uh, a constructive or prompt time. So you can uh, have a uh, maximum amount of energy and alertness uh, uh, during the course of the time on your job. Uh, that is absolutely true. Uh, to uh, something to do, make it a habit, uh, because it would it would be very vital in insisting you to get through uh, the. If if you were on a job like mine, you know, would have had a, a retirement process. Uh, it would it would very much assist you into getting to that point uh, as fluid as possible. Uh, very 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 valuable uh, uh, thing that he uh, he uh, brought up as far as that concern. Something that seems to be quite simple, but yet a lot of people don't really uh, focus on it. Probably like they should. Uh, I myself, uh, would make that mistake every now and then when I was, uh, uh, kind of like in my twenties or thirties, that sort of thing every night. But I did make a habit. I did make a habit of being, uh, in the bed at a particular certain time, somewhere around 10, 11 o'clock, uh, because of the job that I retired from, uh, uh, you are, uh, to be on duty. Uh, about 7 a.m. to relieve the person uh, that is uh, already uh, on during that 24 hours. Uh, And, of course, on a job like that, (laughs) 
you kind of like want to be in your best of uh, mental and physical uh, uh, understanding and behavior because things can happen as you approach the station. <laughs> the alarm can go off. That's actually happened uh, quite a few times. Uh, and you're running, literally running to the truck uh, because with the person that you're relieving, uh, you don't want them to have to go on a call, go on a call, and they're supposed to be off duty because you I mean, if it's something like a fire, you know, you, you probably could be there for hours uh, as far as they're concerned, you know, and uh, so uh, very important, very important. But anyway, uh, to my. Uh, workplace racism. This is considered to be, uh, as a football coach, uh, kind of like the off season. But then again, you know, when it comes to, uh, uh, sports on the, uh, uh, in, in scholastic and collegiate and professional level, there are, there's almost no such thing as no off season. Uh, theoretically there's always something to do, uh, at this point in time, and this is the reason why I, I think I heard you say uh, in the beginning of the program about uh, mentioning about uh, successes and whatnot. Well, here's a here's here's a success. This is this is primarily the reason why I coach football, other than you know liking uh, the sport itself and what it's how it's benefited me. Uh, I transferred that background into. Uh, participate in the process of getting young people, especially young black males. That's primarily who, who I've been working with for almost 30 years now as a, as a high school football coach into college, into college, just like I did back uh, uh, back in the 1970s. Uh, and uh, we're up to now, uh, I think it's about six or seven, and actually the the uh, the signing day has not even occurred. It doesn't really occur until February the second. But already we've had uh, at least six to eight players who have not only have signed uh, their contracts to go to college, but they're they're leaving to go. They've already left. Some of them already left because they've graduated early. There's a process. There's a process that you can that you can take advantage of, uh, uh, so you can actually instead of graduating in the in the uh, in the, uh, uh, the the spring, you know, uh, at the end of semester, uh, you 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 actually can graduate during the what it, what is called the winter the winter uh, break, and by the spring you're at the co- at your college, you're at your college uh, uh, that you uh, have have uh, signed with and uh, we've already had about six to eight uh, uh, student athletes who who have uh, went through that process. Now uh, here is something uh, uh, well not strange uh, that is not it's not encouraged by a lot of administrators. The only one that I know is not encouraged by are not uh, well they're white people. It's not encouraged uh, for the ones who don't encourage that. Uh, but it's a good thing for many reasons other than just football. Uh, there are a lot of uh, guys who actually who are uh, have finished their college uh, credits and whatnot and have already gotten their college degree 
And with that last year of, uh, of scholarship, they're actually going to gra- graduate school, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, other than that, uh, this past, what day was that? Uh, 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 well, yesterday, uh, had a, uh, event to whereas, uh, two of them, two of them, uh, and they, they do it in like, a uh, I guess you call it a grand scale. I really don't like it. Uh, but I went just to, just to support of, to, uh, see them sign the contracts, but, uh, at a restaurant and, uh, it's a lot of people there, uh, family, uh, the newspaper, uh, that sort of thing. I try to, 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 uh, not draw any attention to myself or anything like that. So when people want to take pictures and whatnot, uh, that sort of thing. I be, I basically just say no. Uh, it's not about me. It's about the the, the young people and whatnot and what they uh, have accomplished. That sort of thing, and uh, uh, just watch the process happen. But I asked, I asked, this now this here is actually the problem because there's so much hype with sports in this part of the world, and I guess it's all it's all over the world, especially with white people at. But I know it is over here, and, and especially with football, uh, there's too much emphasis placed on it, as opposed to what you can gain uh, uh, with your athletic talents uh, other than football. So I, I asked I asked one of the guys a question: well, What are your interests? What are your interests other than football? Uh, 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 and, and and he hesitated. In it, you know, which which is to me is a problem, you know, by hesitating on some interest other than football. I say, well, I, I tell you what, by you hesitating, that tells me that you need to think about it. So I tell you what, think about it. It'd be important for you to think about it because one day you're not going to be able to play football. Uh, think about it and, and uh, uh, be able to, uh, while you're in college, make up your mind to have some other interests uh, so you can uh, transition from playing a sport to uh, doing something else. But anyway, those are my uh, uh, experiences uh, uh, this uh, past week in workplace, in the workplace. Thank you. Hmm. Appreciate that. Retired firefighter uh, in Florida and uh, great emphasis on the importance of being well-rested just under the system, period, but particularly uh, going into the workplace. You want to make sure you are alert brain computing operating brain computer operating at the optimal level adequate rest is important for that and uh, that football thing a great question you asked those young folks as well because football is one of those things where i guess any sport but especially football uh you could uh your football career could end very abruptly unfortunately that does happen for a lot of people because there's so many injuries it's so violent that that is absolutely uh critical uh, other folks that we have not heard from at all. If you dialed in, you have a hand up. We have not heard from you. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, hi. Um, first time caller. Um, I've been listening to you guys uh, for approximately a year, but I've been binge listening um, from your first episode until uh, today. So um, I will go by Great American. I um, sent you a, a Facebook um, note uh, 
about workplace racism. I think you guys did it last week, if I'm not mistaken. Can you refresh us on uh, the, what just kind of the details of what you were talking about last week? Um, last week, I sent you a note um, about workplace racism, and I recently um, um, got into this job. Uh, it's a trucking industry. I've been there for about four months, and they kept badgering me about going to the uh, the Christmas party. And um, once I finally agreed to go to the Christmas party, the children um, were running around terrorizing everyone. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, the okay. children. Yeah, yes. And and the crazy thing is that we actually worked that day, and I came in about five thirty. Was supposed to start at six, and I get there at five thirty. Most of the people are there, but they're drunk already. And I'm like, how are you drunk already? And we just got off work, and you know. Um, beyond that, um, most of this is driving and logistics. So you're going to leave a driving job going off drinking. So, you know, I found that um, to be a problem. So once I got there, you know, I just looked around and uh, trying to figure out who was there, who was, what everybody's activities were. But um, I just wanted to be here to comment on that workplace racism if you needed um, any additional information. I'm asked for my code. Um, I go in, I go to work, I get off, I speak when spoken to, I greet with hands, I say hello, I leave it short. Uh, my um, my conversation with white people is you speak to me, I'll speak to you. I'll say yes sir or no sir after you say yes sir or no sir to me. Uh, that's pretty much how I work. and. Um, I don't have much of a problem uh, because of that, because everybody knows I'm pretty standoffish or, you know, what they would try to do. Uh, you don't smile. You don't this. You don't that. And I keep it business. Keep it business. I keep it professional. I tell them, like, hey, I need to be to a point where I'm focused on what I'm doing and all of the extra stuff. I try to avoid that so I don't get into a bunch of conversations with them because they're nosy is I don't know what. Um, they want to know your your inner your inner workings. They want to know all your business, your family business, everything about your job. And I just don't give them anything. Um, I let them talk. I sit back and listen. And I leave out without them knowing. So um, that's pretty much how I um, handle the workplace racism but as for this Christmas party it was uh, like I said about 140 people there uh, working with the company so nearly everyone showed up but how many black people alcohol, or non-white um, people roughly about non-white people um, roughly about 10 <clears throat> were there and the crazy thing about it um, like I said I was one of the first people one of the first black people there so there was another guy that was that was there um, that I noticed, but he was sitting by the door. So I came back to, by the door to sit with him, and we were at a you know big six person table by ourselves, just standing office and looking and observing everything, and you know seeing the inner workings of, of how people interact with each other. But it seems like every black guy that came in, they specifically went to a sector of, of white people. And I could not understand that. 
And the first thing they did was grab a, grab a beer or grab some type of mixed drink. And they went to cursing at each other and it was fun and it was laughing. I'm like, are you serious? And I really, I really didn't see any need for all of that. I mean, we are in work. Then the, the cursing and the drinking would always lead to something else, um, especially when you're dealing with, with those people. So, you know, I just sat back and watched. I didn't drink anything. Um, we had we had dinner. Um, I ate a little. But when the kids came out, that's when it really got crazy for me. They they come they came out of the office. It was like maybe three, but it was one in particular, like a four year old. And he was running and bumping and grabbing on everybody, just being all erratic and, 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 and everything. And I'm like, what is this boy doing? So he finally got to the table where myself and another black guy was sitting. And he just walked up to us like very slow, like like a like Jason or something. I don't know. Well, not like Jason. He just walked up to us slow. And he had this this plain, um, plain artistic look on his face. And he slowly kept walking towards us. He walked around me. The guy that was sitting with me, he was to my left side. And he shot him in the face with a finger. And after he shot him in the face, he just stared at him. And we, and myself and the guy looked at each other like, he was like, I can't believe that. I said, I can. And he sprinted off to one of the women and that was enough for me. Um, like I stated before in the, um, in the letter, um, there are guns on the premises. Um, I found that out when I first got there. (laughs) Um, so, um, there's everybody carries, everybody carries a pistol. I I would assume if not 100%, I would assume 80% at least carry a pistol um i've seen them myself so i i know this um even inside the office with the um the supervisors like i said it's a family company so they're brothers there's you know animal heads all over the wall and um trump stickers and um rebel and civil war nostalgia and, and all of this stuff so you pretty much know where you are but it, it just dumbfounded me that these other eight black men had no clue of what they were dealing with. So uh, <laughs> I just called to uh, to just be more direct with, with the letter and let you know that, let the guests and, and the listeners know that how I got through that situation was just to leave. Um, our first situation was becoming volatile. It wasn't a place for me. It wasn't a place that I that I cared to be. So I just politely excused myself, and that was it. So that's all I have for workplace racism. Grand, <laughs> great decision to exit the premises once you didn't feel comfortable, didn't feel safe, particularly if you got alcohol and firearms in addition to whites i mean that is it does not get any more lethal um that is <clears throat> fantastic decision i think the little four-year-old that you saw it dylan roof 
in training. Uh, and I mean, I was yes. thinking seriously, like, yes, Dylan Roof 2.0. That's what you should have in mind. Whites are, you know, out training their, their toddlers uh, with firearms on a regular basis. Uh, and I guess just the other uh, quick comment to get in, because I know uh, you were saying, like, on the job, you just keep it business. Hey, I got to stay focused. I don't have time for a lot of that uh, extra unnecessary chit chat. I know for a lot of victims, uh, they've uh, talked about that ending up being a problem uh, where, uh, I mean, even to the point of being written up saying, you know, you doesn't seem like you're part of the family. You know, you don't talk to us. You know, we, we don't hear it. You're not a good fit. That's the type of thing that they'll say. That's the type of language that you're not a good fit uh, for the culture (laughs) that we have here because, you know, we, we like to laugh and joke around, be on a first name basis. We've had so many black people uh, who have, you know, had all over the world who've had problems uh, with that. Like, uh, just anything quickly uh, that you could share in terms of how you've been able to make sure that that doesn't become a problem, that you can just be quiet, do your work, and they leave you alone? Well, um, I guess one of the one of my um, – the better attributes I have is my demeanor, I suppose. Um, I was um, with the Department of Corrections and um, riot safety for about nine years. and. Uh, most white people that meet me think that I'm military, which I'm not. I sort of despise all of that. I, I, don't, I see, you know, no good in that. You know, just going out killing people you never met for no reason, just because someone told you, told you so. So they think I'm military. So they, I guess that gives them um, uh, uh, I guess that closes the barrier for them to think that I'm friendly since we have so much affection for the military that makes affection. <laughs> but um, when I first, before I got hired, um, I spoke with the owner, one of the, the older brothers, and we discussed pay, we discussed how long we work, um, we discussed what days we work, so on and so forth. And <clears throat> everything was to my liking and what I told them, you know, they agreed with that. But um, I just made it clear that I'm not working any weekends, and if I do, it needs to be an emergency, and you need to let me know. Um, I'm just coming in to do my job because that's I'm just doing what's expected of me. So let them know I'm not working any weekends. That tells them exactly I'm not doing anything extra, no more than what I'm getting paid for. So there's no need to ask me. And they tried to um, the first two months, and I declined. And how the the way I declined, I asked them. I said, "Well, is is it required of me to work this weekend? Because if not, I'd rather spend that time with my family. Considering this is a family business." And they left me alone after that. So um, I sort of set the table. I would think. That's that's probably how. Asking questions, always great. Uh, And I think, or at least to me, that reminds me of uh, what Raj shared uh, probably some months back at this point, just about kind of letting white people know uh, up front that, you know, hey, 
Uh, I'm appreciative uh, for being able to be a part of this organization and looking forward to being a valuable asset and us all being to prosper together. Uh, but I just don't do a lot of frivolous chit chat. It's just not my personality. Uh, I'm down to help anybody that's on the team here. Let me know what I can do uh, to be of assistance and I will try my best. Uh, but I just don't, you know, do a whole lot of the, you know, hey, and let's talk about where we went shopping. Lab. I just don't do all that. <laughs> good morning. Good evening. Let me know if you need something. But that's just not my personality. He said just kind of letting folks know that up front uh, had helped a lot with him. So I kind of say that to other folks as well. Just kind of establish that up front, letting people know and still being courteous, but just that I'm just not a chatty person. That's just my demeanor. Now, let's get some work done and that that can that can be helpful, it seems. Uh, other folks that we have not heard from, if you have questions for any of the folks who chimed in thus far about what they shared or if you have your own situation that you want to discuss, uh, your line should be open. Folks, we have not heard from at all. Uh, can I be heard? I uh, heard both of you. Um, let's see. Mr. Steele, you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, I just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to uh, say uh, thanks for all the contributors uh, that have called in thus far. Um, I especially like the uh, um, story that was told by uh, 1842. I think making a good exit from any um, employment situation that you've been in is um, really, really, really important, uh, especially as you're building up a work history. You want um, them to be able to uh, call and talk to somebody to um, verify that, uh, hey, you're not uh, going to be a problem. And if they are able to determine that you're going to be a problem, you probably won't hear back from um, any uh, prospective employer. But um, I will say, um, just as uh, for tips for victims of white supremacy that have, uh, I guess, found themselves in a situation where they do have holes or gaps uh, in their employment history, uh, if you do have any, um, to kind of mitigate for that, if you do have anybody that um, is in your social circle, that can sound like management, I would suggest using those numbers and those people as references. And I would uh, suggest that if you do use these people, make sure that they have um, LinkedIn profiles that go ahead and verify um, their employment, because that's pretty much how uh, uh, people are going to verify they're typically going to go on LinkedIn and to, you know, kind of check to see, oh, is that person actually a manager? Does this name match up? And, if, and that's if they go that deep into their due diligence. Um, also, uh, I, I will say um, just a suggestion to victims of uh, racism that are looking for employment and you have your resume. On your resume, please, 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 write out what it is that you did at each position. Your job title at each of those positions does not speak to um, any of the experiences that you had. And you can go ahead and um, a pro tip, if there's a particular job that you're looking at and you're looking in, in it of interest to you, they'll tell you basically what they want to see from you. So uh, in the job description, 
So if you want your resume to stand out, um, use the key words that they have identified in uh, the job posting. Um, and you can even, at each one of your job descriptions, you can write out um, how each one of those um, must have, uh, each one of those uh, must requirements you've applied or you've met at each one of those positions. Um, it just, uh, it just, it saddens me to see so many victims of uh, racism. Uh, they think that, hey, because I have a document that has my name and some jobs on it, um, this is a sufficient resume. I, I just, I just want to say that it's not going to show up in any searches. It's not going to, um, it's not going to, you know, pop up um, when. Uh, uh, a recruiter or some sort of uh, HR professional is looking uh, and skimming. And if you don't tell a story that or just um, a list of how you knocked out every single one of the tasks that they identified that you're going to be doing uh, in one of your previous positions, you're just not going to get that call. So also be able to speak to every single thing that's on your resume. Um, I've seen victims of racism in situations where they may have things on their resume that they say that they're competent or proficient in. And when it comes to being able to speak to um, those skills, being able to talk through um, some of the scenarios that those skills are applied in, they just falling short. So I don't know if the situation is that, you know, people are embellishing um, what they uh, have uh, the skills that they have, or if they just have poor communication skills, but please be able to speak to every single thing that you see on your resume. Um, I, I just can't stress that enough. Recruiters and frontline people, uh, uh, frontline HR professionals, they're going to be the ones that are skimming through this and they're going to make the uh, thumbs up or the thumbs down and just make their job easy. Use those keywords, speak to everything that um, that particular job posting has um, and uh, just make sure that you have that, on, uh, have that down. And um, that's just some, some, you know, brief uh, resume tips. Um, a lot of people, I don't know if people know this or not, but uh uh, another thing that I do, or I guess what I do, is um, comedy. Uh, so one thing that I've noticed, um, uh, one thing that I, I guess, observed in this particular workspace is that uh, racism is expected uh, and it's celebrated, and it is oftentimes framed as jokes. So uh, I'm just, I, I run into... Um, situations that are just uh, and people that say boldly racist things and I guess you know because they're comedians it's okay and um, I've just been noticing that uh, man there's these secret groups that people who call themselves comedians form on the internet and they go ahead and they discuss um, uh, different targets that they have. They have targeted discussions about who are they going to take down, who are they going to focus on. And this week, I've noticed that uh, victims of racism were targeting a person named um, Dan Ninian or something like that. I don't know. Um, I'm not familiar with this comedian, but apparently he is half uh, what they call Indian and half what they call Japanese. 
So a lot of his jokes are based on that. And apparently he was embellishing his age and playing the media, uh, the PR game. I was, uh, and some comedians were just, uh, um, just, you know, bad-mouthing this person. And then I noticed that they were going to um, different corporate interests that he had, and they were going through and saying, this is why you should not work with this person, and this is why you should not work with this person. And I pointed out how, you know, I, I was just, you know, going back and forth with some of these people. And uh, I pointed out that, hey, you know, this person's career is here and yours is there. Maybe you should go and uh, read this guy's book uh, and see, you know, exactly what steps you should take to become better comedians. They responded by going ahead and uh, searching through my old posts and finding ones that they found objectionable and, and going ahead and posting them all over the Internet, telling people, you know, not work, uh, don't work with these people. I'm in a new market, so they're going and trying to convince the people in this new market that I'm some sort of bad guy or something like that. And this is just something that I've noticed in the workplace of, I guess, comedy. Um, I don't know uh, if I, uh, I, well, I guess if you're in the, and, and speaking of, if you're in the, um, uh, what is that, Los Angeles area, um, I'm going to be at a place called the Pack Theater on Santa Monica Boulevard on Friday night. Um, uh, where I will be, I guess, co-hosting some or a panelist on some uh, talent shows. So um, uh, go ahead and, uh, I guess, on Facebook, I'm Ken Steele, and you can um, see my Facebook profile page. You can see uh, the event there. So um, I guess that's my workplace racism for this week, just some tips on um, how to improve your resume and um, uh, check me out. Appreciate that. Uh, caller in Florida. It was a different caller in Florida. You spoke up simultaneously. Were you going to share as well? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, um, this is uh, 2812 in Virginia. Um, uh, well, I'll just get right to it. Um, today was a, um, uh, I'll just call it a difficult day, um, uh, cause I came to a couple of honest realizations with myself, had an incident with a coworker. Um, I mentioned this, you know, I mentioned this older white woman a couple of weeks ago. I hope everybody can hear me. Um, where she was the one that asked me when I had mentioned to her that I was going out of the country. And she said, do you want to just leave the country because of Trump? And I had uh, asked her a question. Uh, today, she came into the office. We had an office meeting with the manager again. There's three people in the office. The manager left the room. Uh, she made a comment in reference to the reason why she was late to the meeting was because of um, she was listening to something about Russian hackers. And... Um, 1842, who dropped so much knowledge and said, don't discuss politics. And I think I was typing something. And I probably wasn't even paying attention. And um, and I think I said something like, why is that important? And she said, what do you mean, why is that important? Why would that not be important? And I can't remember what I said, but when, our, when the other white manager left the room, it was her and I. And uh, someone walk by and ask a question. 
she then spoke up after the person walked by and said, yeah, I'd like to smack, uh, smack such and such. And she was talking to me. And I looked at her, and she looked at me. And we had already had tension, um, but what I realized is that she doesn't take me seriously. And that was a huge eye-opening experience for me. Um, I was really embarrassed, and um, I was like, wow. You know, my manager, I don't want to say treats me with respect because he's still a suspected racist, but we have a cordial relationship simply because of the fact that I'm more productive in reference to what I do, um, in reference to volume and, and the amount of transactions that I do. Um, but that was really bothersome. So then we had to go out for lunch together, and on the way back from lunch, the lunch was fine. We really just cordial talk, but I was really embarrassed just sitting there. Um, on the way back, uh, she was listening to probably WFA and whatever the news station was. And at first, they were talking about Donald Trump being sued, and she turned the radio up. Like, oh, I got to hear this. And I'm sitting in the front seat next to this woman that's already insulted me. Then they started to discuss Dylan Roof. And I'm telling you, she turned the radio down. Almost to a level to where you couldn't hear it. And as soon as that snippet was over, she turned it back up. And she was sick, and she left. And um, for some reason, maybe the other white manager that was with us after she left the office, he said, hey, I want to talk to you tomorrow about Barbara. And I said, okay. And then he left. And so my question for the other li- and my question for the listeners is that um, should I address her comment or should I let it go? Um, I don't. I do not want to get into a confrontation with an older white woman. I really don't. But I do want her to know that I thought it was inappropriate. So if anybody has any suggestions on how I should handle that, or if I should, I would appreciate it. Uh, the other thing I realized today after that comment was. In my business, I have to speak a lot and I have to do a lot. And I've come to the realization that, you know, a lot of my years I've been being showcased. And some of it is for my ability, but a lot of it is for my personality, particularly when I'm teaching classes. I'm very effective with non-white people and even some people that are classified as white. Um, They don't just take me as a joke. They actually, after classes, ask questions. And I've built a lot of relationships. That's how I do my business. But after today's incident and just doing a lot of self-reflecting, um, the reason why a lot of this came up is I listen to old Kyle's episodes every day. And the one that I listened to this afternoon after this incident was the January 2015 with Dr. Welsing when uh, Gus had mentioned about black people laughing when things aren't funny. And I observed my own behavior and I realized that sometimes I do that and in being more serious as well. And, uh, what I'm trying to figure out is how to be, how to teach my classes and to be more serious and to, but to still be effective because specifically with non-white people, one of my ways of being effective is that I can tell that they're going through things and they're having trouble understanding. And I really do a very effective job of lightening the mood so they can learn a little bit better uh, because sometimes they just have trouble. But um, I'm just trying to understand to have a balance of not always just being entertaining or being showcased, even when you realize you are, uh, but just being serious at the job. And um, that's all I have to share. Thank you. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, uh, to the previous caller, uh, I'll say this: uh, perhaps you want to consider 
videotaping some of your classes. Uh, getting because if you're being showcased specifically and uh, more so than um, uh, people that you notice around you, that means there's something there that they're finding worth showcasing. So you can leverage that, turn that into um, into something uh, more lucrative for yourself and uh, more worth all the trouble that you're having to endure. Because even if you go the route of uh, uh, a paid speaker or some sort of uh, freelance uh, teacher or instructor, um, you're still going to have to deal with these situations, but you're going to be able to make it more worth your while by charging more money for your services. You're being showcased for a reason. So find out what it is by videotaping yourself and, um, and perhaps that can be uh, leveraged into more, uh, more money for yourself. And consider getting an agent because you're being showcased, you're being showcased for a reason. So find out what it is. The guy that you were going to speak to about this uh, racist woman's behavior, is this a white person or a non-white person, you said? He came, uh, Gus, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Uh, He approached approached me, Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't even mention it. I didn't mention the incident to him at all, Mm -hmm. but I think he's been observational on just some of her tacky conduct. And, um, he, I'm, I'm more productive. Um, I understand my job a little, a lot better. I don't ask as many questions. Is he white or uh, not? Yes, he is. Yeah. He, yes. Yes. But that's what I mentioned. He is a white person. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Hmm. Uh, that's one of those, uh, particularly if he's come up, you said he, he, uh, volunteered to speak to you like you didn't seek him out to have some sort of conversation about her behavior or to get his thoughts or anything he sought you out and said that he wanted to i guess share a word uh, about this white woman i would be very uh cautious with that conversation uh, i suspect i mean you know these people you've been working there for a while but uh, i think i've told someone this before i would be very uh, putting it mildly i would be very leery uh, about going and talking to another white person or even another non-white person on the job about any situation with anybody else there, whether they did something incorrect to me, if I'm the one I'm being accused of having done something incorrect to them, I would not want to be chatting with a white person. If he just wants to share for whatever reason, he feels like he needs to say whatever to me. Fine. If I need to ask any questions, fine. Other than that, I would not have uh, a whole lot to say to this guy, particularly if you're still, you're still, cause it sounded like you were asking maybe for suggestions about how best to proceed uh, with this racist woman. Should you say something to her? Uh, because you didn't agree with her conduct and how all of this, you know, evolved uh, and what have you, uh, particularly if you're still trying to figure it out yourself how you want to deal with this. I would not uh, make it something where you're tipping your hand, as they say, uh, and just kind of telling him what you think or how you feel about what she said. I would listen to what he had to say if you need to ask a question and then move forward. You can take you can make an assessment of that like later but i would be very leery whites they talk um this could be her pal just trying to feel out and see what's going on and then as soon as that conversation is over he runs back and tells her you know everything that's going on and i'm i'm not just saying that you know out of uh just 
ignorant or unfounded suspicion. I've seen that as a pattern that whites do this sort of thing, uh, that you think this white person is cool. You're not cooler than they are with team racism. Uh, they're going to go back and function to make sure that they maintain white supremacy. So we need to keep that in the forefront of our mind. Uh, in terms of you, did I miss here? You were asking like, you know, how to proceed. Do you address it? No, that, that, no, I appreciate that. That's, 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 um, I'll definitely take, take that in consideration. Yeah. He, I, I was just trying to figure out how to move forward. I know how to move forward. Um, I just pretty much know how I need to move forward with her. And that's just limit, uh, contact and to limit conversation mm. and to not discuss politics in the office, uh, and particularly, and just, um, to just, to keep it moving in this environment that we're in. And we're also, also competing for coins, which is what I like to say. And when you're competing for coins, people get very tacky. Mm. And right now, if it's a competition, I'm probably making a few more coins than we are. And we're in the same office competing for the same business. And I know we were, and I'll I'll be quiet, but we had a lunch today. And we had to basically divvy up agents that we market to. And every time he mentioned, uh, we were going through all these names, and every time he mentioned a name, I said, oh, that person and I are doing business. And I could see her face like, how is this Negro doing this? And that's where a lot of the tension is coming from. So I'm just trying to navigate uh, as best as possible, continue to make my money, but just I want to be more serious in my environment because I realize a large portion of the issue is my behavior. So. Mm. Right on. I think with the seriousness, I think a lot of that is is just about uh, black really having a code, having a code about what you're going to do. Because I think for a lot of us that I don't know how you want to describe it, but that nervous laughter or that laughter when you don't you're not quite sure about what to say or how you want to proceed. You don't want to get in trouble. Uh, it can be a fearful, terrifying situation because that's what white supremacy is, terrorism. Uh, I think that's where it comes from. I think you can be more serious, still productive, uh, but I think you can be more serious where you don't have those uh, laughter. Everything is not a, a resort to humor uh, when you already have an idea about, you know, this is what I want to say. This is what I want to do. I've also encouraged people just be thinking on a daily basis so we can get out of that mode of being surprised about things where, yep, these racists and particularly for you, since it seems like you're doing well. You might even be doing better uh, than some of these tacky racists. And they're really upset about that. This nigger is here outperforming us like, oh, God, we got to get him out of here and embarrass him along the way. Just having that in mind, I've even, you know, encouraged people to take you know, 10, 15 minutes before you go into your office space, your work area, and to just prepare for battle. Like, I'm going to be around terrorists all day long uh, and already having in mind whatever tacky comment that they make or whatever they say. Uh, if they say nigger, whatever it is, I already know this is my code, whether my code is I write things down or I got my technology. So I just make an MP3 recording really quick or whatever. Then when you start to have more of a code and just being, hey, I'm working with these racists, so I'm already going to have uh, what to do, what my plan is about dealing with that. I think that helps a lot to minimize uh, that tendency uh, where you just have that laughter when you're kind of caught off guard or surprised uh, in the moment how to respond. I think it greatly minimizes that and just giving you more confidence, more black self-respect uh, about dealing with things in the workplace. I think it's just just a matter of practice and time, at least in my experience. 
Uh, did anybody else want to speak to that in terms of proceed? What it seemed like you were kind of getting an idea about what you wanted to do with a white woman. Anyone else want to speak to uh, the serious aspect? Because I think other people have talked about that or anything else we heard from the male caller that just dialed in. I think wherever you go, there you are. And there's going to be some degree. I think that whatever vibe that you're giving off that you're receiving not seriousness has been established in that environment. So you're going to have to cope with that. Um, just understand that you're dealing with white supremacists or suspected white supremacists. And keep in mind what Neely Fuller says, uh, never ask for an apology, respect, love. So when you're addressing all of these uh, grievances that you have uh, with a suspected racist to another suspected racist, I think that you're just going to set yourself up for um, more problems down the line. So I think you should do your best to neutralize uh, this situation, um, uh, codify your behavior, and um, understand that the more they think about you um, off the clock, the more trouble you're likely to bring to yourself on the clock. Are there other folks uh, who had commentary they wanted to share on uh, what we just heard from our mail caller? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, I would two things. One, I don't think that you should address it with her. Um, I don't see that that's constructive at all. I think that could cause more problems. Um, second, I think since this woman and you all, you have a pattern or a history, I think perhaps documenting um, what is said and when, like Gus recommends often to take notes, have like a little workplace journal, I think that would be constructive. I also think for this white male who wants to ask you a bunch of questions tomorrow and get you to get emotional, don't. I don't think that you should trust this white male at all. I think that if you don't have a voice recorder, I think you should use your phone if your phone has an app for that. And before you even walk in um, his office, if he has one or whatever, just start your recorder and you could just sit it face down so he can't see, but just even if he's not going to say anything incriminating, just so you can listen to it later to observe his manipulation and his tactics. Um, and also to keep yourself on guard because you'll know your recording, so you'll be, you know, you know you're going into battle. It's, it's everyday war, but you're going into battle. Um, and I think that just no more talking to this white female at all. Like, just leave her alone. She's, uh, she's terroristic, and you know how everyone feels about white females. They can do no wrong, even when they're blatantly wrong. So I think she just spells, she smells like disaster. And I would try to not be in her car. If y'all do lunch or anything like that, just drive your own car, even if it means, you know, people are like, well, why? You know, I just want to be in my own car for a second, and, like come up with some kind of codified response. I don't think being in white female cars, if it is her car, if not, then excuse me, but, um, yeah, stay away from her. Thank you. Any other feedback specifically for this situation? 
Yes, I kind of want to say something, but I don't want to make a mis- I don't want to make a mistake and give a uh, victim of racist white supremacy uh, information that's not good. Uh, uh, from what I have been listening to uh, since the beginning of workplace racism programs, uh, one thing the retired firefighter has uh, uh, thought of that there's a lot of people a lot more nicer than I am uh, on these jobs. Uh, 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 I, I was similar to I had a rule, rules similar to rules slash codes similar to a previous caller that mentioned that that especially to white people, uh, if they don't speak to me, I don't speak to them as far as greetings is concerned. Like like morning and even even with even in the morning, I wouldn't say good morning. I just say morning after they said good morning. And uh, didn't care if they got the message or not on what I w- what I was was speaking about when I just said morning instead of good morning. Uh, but primarily, what that did, it, it they 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 left me alone. <laughs> they left me alone, which was which was all right with me. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that I was being rude, uh, attempting to be rude, uh, because in my nature itself, uh, it's it's kind of kind of shy uh the the things i'm most talkative about uh i can tell you is attempted uh get the the attempted science of counter racism and uh football <laughs> primarily uh but but uh uh yes uh i wouldn't I, I would i would stay away from that that uh white female like uh staying away from a nuclear bomb uh Getting in a car with a white female, no, no. And and if the subject comes up, I would tell her directly. Uh, as you said, I think I heard the caller said that uh, he uh, and I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong now. Uh, that I, that he needs to be more serious. Well, that that's if that if that's so, then that's that's part of one of the points right there. And I'll let that person know. You know, from from uh, you know from the uh, you know it's already there's already apparently there's already some sort of uh, 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 friction if you if uh, I guess the word I'm, I'm thinking about right now. Uh, so it's not like it's a secret uh, uh, about it, and, and 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 white people are, are pretty up on up on that because they they cause a world of uh, strife with uh, people that, it could, that they uh, call non-white, consider to be non-white. Uh, but uh, yeah, all the suggestions that I heard makes a lot of sense as far as that concern. Uh, and, uh, you know, just keep, keep, it, keep pushing, keep, keep it moving and forward, you know, as far as that concern and uh, always be alert of who's around you and what they're saying and what, it, well, actually what they're doing. Uh, as far as that concern, be aware of what they're, what they're doing and uh, be uh, very careful of what you are doing, you know, also. And uh, eventually the, uh, the, the tide would turn because now they would see this, this uh, uh, newer awakening that you are demonstrating. Uh, because white people, I've, I've found out that white people are very keen on paying attention to their non-white victims. 
they do pay attention to us. I, I, I mean, I can tell you that emphatically, 100%. I got stories on that. You know, uh, before I got on that job, you know, I was a very young person. Uh, and I didn't understand that, but I certainly understood that over the over over those twenty eight years that they do pay attention to their their niggers. and that's all I have to say. Thank you. Any other uh, suggestions for this situation specifically, or folks have their own situation uh, you would like to address? Uh, any folks we haven't heard from at all? seem like they're oh yes sir we can hear you you're a little low if you could speak up please all right can you, can you hear me yes sir all right uh thank you sir um greetings to gus the host the listeners and callers um to, to make a short point about the the seriousness like i have had encounters with that like i think it's just the perception of being a black male, like if you try to, like I, like I, I try to be, I guess you can say just uh, courteous, not really uh, being excessively courteous, but just on a basic regular level. And I, I noticed people pretty much uh, receive that well for the most part, but you know, there's just days in this system where you just don't even feel like <laughs> you don't even feel like coming into work or whatever. And, I guess what they they call a so-called off day, and I think it, it communicates uh, effectively, where you know they won't even really say too much to me if I'm um, not really in the mood to uh, have any kind of um, chit chat. Because if I do talk, I talk in the form of trying to get information, constructive information, not really revealing much about myself, and really trying to extract something from one of them. Uh, uh, whomever I might be talking to, but like since, and then another thing is like, you know, having the kind of voice that I have, uh, like a lot of bass or whatever. Like I noticed that like there'll be times where I think some people will try to mimic that. Like the white females will try to, uh, will, will try to lower their voice, I guess, in a means of maybe trying to, I guess, what mock it, something like that, or trying to, you know, be, uh, masculine or whatever, but it's that it's that sense of uh, uh, them over exaggerating things about black males. Um, just in uh, your demeanor, you can just say greetings or you know morning, good morning, or uh, how's everybody doing or something like that. You don't really have to speak in detail too much, but the moment where you might not say anything that can be interpreted. As uh, something that's over exaggerated, like oh well, he's thinking about uh, doing harm to one of us. Maybe he, he could be the next uh, to use a metaphor, Chris Dorner or something. Um, but I, I think the I, like I keep thinking of the term like over exaggerate whenever you whenever a black male does something, as opposed to uh, if there's a, a white man that comes in there and is uh, very um, uh, unpleasant or whatever, discourteous. But if I do it in the slightest, it's uh, over-exaggerated to emphasize that word again. But um, I wanted to also make a comment on the uh, the beginning segment about the um, the artist that worked at uh, Disney, 
like I can kind of relate to that myself because like I do little sketches and uh, I've been designing characters for a long time. And I like, I, like I noticed that like I was responding to racism myself because I will always use the, uh, the brown, like in um, darker colors to, you know, to, to make my own characters because I wasn't seeing um, black people, not white people. So just uh, make a brief point on that and about some workplace racism. Uh, like my mom was telling me about, she uh, she went over to uh, to make a visit to um, my old supervisor. He had retired, and I, like what I had said recently, and he shared very interesting uh, information that, um, like you said, your your son he's uh, full of questions, and he is very smart and intelligent, and uh, he even uh, outdid me sometimes. Or he. Uh, I don't know if he said outsmarted, but he he uh, left me speechless sometimes. And then he said sometimes I answered them and sometimes I didn't. So uh, I, I like I thought that was a very interesting last observation uh, before he left. And uh, there was a, a new clerk that started, and he sent out this email because we it was about five of us in our department where we were trying to. Um, I think put in the last little request to get our, I guess you can call it our promotions or whatever. And I believe it's three of us are non-white and two of us were within the group were white uh, females. And I guess it didn't end up, it didn't end up happening because I guess the new clerk is supposed to be doing training on other things. So he sent out his email anyway, using the language about changing the uh, job titles like whatever they're going to be called because it used to be called staff assistant, like ever since I started there. And he said, it's going to be called um, things like civil and record specialists. And it didn't indicate where, you know, where there'd be some kind of tier ranking on a level and it would be like a one, two, three and a senior staff assistant. So I guess that was some kind of a codified way, um, saying that, you know, it won't be any new promotions anytime soon. So, you know, I was asking a white person, you know, like, like, is it like would the, uh, our checklist have to be revised because it says, uh, staff assistant three and four on them. Does that mean since the job titles changed that these would change too? And I noticed her response has got smaller, smaller, and smaller to the point where she was looking down at her phone. So, uh, I guess she became disinterested. And this was a person who also was um, trying to get a promotion too. But see, she is um, of the same classification of the people that control everything. So I think she was using um, a strict codification. And I've seen her do this as well, where the other two black females will um, mention something uh, race-related or whatever. And she, like I noticed, she'll stop talking. You know, she'll just sit and listen. So, you know, just what uh, people have said previously about them being analytical about um, what black people are discussing. You know, I peeped that. I looked to the side. You know, she was very quiet and just, you know, doing her work. So uh, that that was very interesting. And that's all I can pretty much think of right now. And uh, I'll give it to the next person. Thank you. Hmm. Very interesting. I've said that before. White people, they tend to notice. And you said the guy before he retired. I was just, wow, you're 
son asks these questions and he even outsmarted me a few times that it really sticks out. If you have a non-white person, they're trying to be constructive and codified in how they function, just asking questions, not just talking, talking, talking and laughing, trying to be serious, really sticks out. White's like, oh, this is one we better keep an eye on. Could be trouble. Like <laughs> That's what you should have in the forefront. And again, just asking questions, asking questions. Again, in my view, when you have whites, even white people noticing this nigger asks a lot of questions. That is a big component to us solving this problem. Asking more questions, more questions, more questions. Um, I, yeah, just uh, I, I thought a lot of people uh, could relate to that in terms of uh, just not getting opportunities or advantages to utilize all of our talents, different ways that we respond to racism, white supremacy. Um, other folks, if you have commentary uh, you would like to share, uh, feel free to chime in. Anything stood out? I, I think that happens on the job as well. Just the last anecdote uh, that our different caller in Florida shared about the uh, them changing the job titles and all that. And then we're trying to get clarification just so you understand, you know, what's happening with these potential opportunities to get, you know, move up the chain, as they say. And then she just gets totally disinterested. Now she's looking at her phone like standard racist code. Uh, and that's one of the ways, in my view, that they keep uh, withhold constructive information uh, where whites, I contend a lot of these decisions about how they're going to do these type of things, who's going to get promoted, we're changing the job titles or the qualifications or whatever it is, we're changing the salary around. Whites have a lot of these conversations amongst themselves behind closed doors uh, about how they're going to orchestrate all this. And then they come back out around everybody else and are, oh, man, I'm so confused. I can't believe this happened and act like they don't know what's going on and nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, that, in my view, I could be an error, but I contend that sort of thing is happening all the time, macro and micro level, uh, that tends to be the way that whites uh, do business. And again, just so that we are the ones, non-white people, the victims uh, sitting around clueless and trying to figure out what happened. What does this mean? Do I have to start the process all over again? And at the end of the day, it's what white people say. Uh, anyone we have not heard from at all, you should dial in now. We have a little over an hour, so there's no excuse should not have spectators dial in if you want to comment uh, on anything that we've shared thus far. Or if you have your own situation, feel free. I think everyone who dialed in uh, has a hand up. I just wanted to share we had a person who wrote in uh, really quick. Uh, this is a 25-year-old black female uh, who works at a call center full time. My coworkers are very toxic. I hear them gossiping all the time. I believe they don't like me because I won't gossip or joke with them. I talk to them strictly about the job. I also hear them snickering around my desk sometimes and I get the feeling they are laughing at me. I get nasty looks from them sometimes too. I listened to one of the programs on workplace racism and you read an email about a guy not being invited to lunch or happy hour and I can relate to that as well. They never invite me to lunch or happy hour. I don't care though because they are not people who I want to associate with at all. My white female manager shows favoritism to certain coworkers. She promoted a few of my coworkers to another position that pays more. I noticed the coworkers she chooses I noticed the coworkers she chose to promote were white and quote unquote Latino. Can you give me some advice on this matter? I really want to quit. I'm just afraid that I may run into the same situation at another job. It most certainly will be the same situation or it could even be something worse uh, than what it already is. Uh, I'm not sure which 
uh, situation if it's the gossip part or the promotion part. Uh, the gossip part, I would just ignore it. I mean, it might uh, change slightly if these are other victims. Uh, I guess it would, yeah. I'm just thinking for myself. I don't know how other people, but for me, it, it would be a significant shift if these are other black people that are doing this, uh, other non-white people, or is this a group of racists that are sitting around and doing this? Uh, if it's some black people, I might just be on ignore, whatever. Um, I, I, that didn't come through in the, in the letter. If you want to add that or call in and clarify, these are other black people or predominantly other black people. I would probably just ignore uh, that sort of thing that unfortunately, and again, racists are to blame for this, but that anti-blackness, uh, a lot of people have commented about that. Even Pam, we've talked about this on the program before, Mr. Fuller as well, uh, in terms of victims of racism, us getting on the job and it just being a lot of gossiping and talking about other people. And uh, I think Mr. Fuller, even his term, the elevator insults, that sort of thing, that is very, very common, has been for a long time. If it's victims, I would just ignore, stay focused on my work. Uh, I think Mr. F uh, Mr. Fuller has said that that sort of behavior tends to produce its own set of problems. That's going to be a distraction for people in that group if that continues. And I have seen that myself where that can end up taking care of itself once, you know, a few too many conflicts or nonsense comes up or people wasting time and not being on task where whites might intervene and stop some of that. So I would just ignore that. If it's whites doing this, that might be something that I would document. If this is happening on a regular basis, if it's directed towards you and that sort of thing, then that might be something that you want to approach just from a professionalism standpoint. Like, is this professional appropriate behavior uh, for the office? And it doesn't even have to be calling out anyone per se. Just what sort of environment do we want to promote? Do we want an environment where in the call center we're just sitting around and talking about folks all day long? And, you know, we get to the phone when we get there and we're not really focused on what we're here to do. Is that what we want to promote in the workplace if it's white people? Uh, and again, some people might just say ignore all of that all the way through. That's fine as well. Well, that's a suggestion that I have given out before, though, just approaching it from a what is best for business sense. Uh, this is not a moral thing. Taking it out of that, thinking about this as some sort of grade school uh, thing, because I think that's the way a lot of times that they want us to uh, portray these events, that this is just I'm a little child and my feelings are heard and the cool kids don't like. No, that's not what this is at all. I don't care about any of that. But. Just is this professional? Is this the way that we want to conduct things in the work environment? Would it be better just to make sure we're all being courteous and focused on what we're here to do, what we're paid uh, to do? If it's the, the promotion aspect, if that was what you were uh, asking for suggestions on, uh, I would go through the policy and procedure and see if they have criteria, because sometimes they do, uh, about the uh, promotion process and how that's evaluated. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's just a thing where they say it's discretion. We promote who we want and that's that. That's going to be obviously much more difficult to deal with. Uh, if it's not in policy and procedure, you can go and ask them. Can you explain the system in terms of how people are evaluated and promoted here? Uh, you can review your own workplace performance to see where your performance is ranking. If you're getting high marks, if you're getting evaluations that are great and showing that you're doing sterling work. Oh, OK. Well, then, hey, I should be in line for a promotion, too, if my evaluations are so glowing. That's the route I would take that. But that the promotion aspect, I could see that being more difficult because a lot of times whites just say it's it's discretion. We're in charge and we decide who gets promoted. And that's that if you don't like it. You know, feel free to uh, submit your two week notice or whatever you're going to do. Uh, did folks have any suggestions on what the caller uh, wrote in the situation, the gossip uh, and or promotion aspect? 
Let's see. I heard uh, two different folks. Uh, do we? I guess we already heard from retired firefighter. Have we heard the other person that spoke up? Have we already heard from you? Yes, sir. You've heard from me. Okay. Uh, we'll. I guess we'll get you first, and then we'll get retired firefighter. Okay. Thank you. Um, as for the job aspect um, and the the gossip, um, my code for work is um, I got to work for a paycheck. I don't go to make friends, whether uh, white or non-white. Um, and I, I particularly, um, I care to be alone. If not alone, if I have to be with someone, one person, um, group settings seem not to work uh, because of the egos or the uh, the buzz that have already been made um, prior to you meeting everyone. So. Um, I just try to keep my circle to a minimum where the conflict is minimized and it's a situation where I can, I can leave when I'm ready to without having to get an agreement from any other members of the group to leave. But I'm putting myself in a position where I can make my own decisions. So um, go to work for your paycheck and not to make friends. And that would solve a lot of problems, in my opinion. Um, as for the promotion part, um, sometimes promotion is not the best thing, especially if she's in a position now that she's already feeling uncomfortable. Um, a promotion will only give you more, um, it will only put you in a, in a place where you have more responsibility and with more responsibility, you have more eyes on you. The more eyes on you, more than, more than likely be more white eyes which are already uncomfortable with the people anyway. So I would decline the promotion just for job security and um, try to start my call from there because obviously there's a pattern that they've seen um, prior to this incident and they, they respond to her a different way than they would if she already had a call prior to getting there. So that's my suggestion. I'll leave my line. Retired firefighter? Uh, yes, I, 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 with the promotion uh, thing, I, I have similar, uh, uh, similar thoughts about uh, promotions. Uh, uh, depends on, I mean, you know, there, there's a, there's a comp, there's a compensatory, uh, a situation with promotions, you know, they, they you, yes, you get more money, but uh, there's uh, a different uh, level of, of responsibility that uh, may not be to your best interest. You really got to think that out uh, uh, in a world that's, that's dominated by the global system of racist white supremacy. A non-white black person, in my opinion, that's uh, in a quote-unquote position of authority, white people have not done you any favors. Uh, and money is not, every, money is not everything, uh, as, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so you really got to think that out. Uh, now, based on whatever your position is, uh, if, uh, if when your pay scale, this is, what, this is what is important, I think. Your pay scale when it's time to get promoted, along with everybody else, that that 
that uh, yes, you, you should be concerned about that as far as getting uh, your 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 uh, additional uh, salary. As far as that concerned, gossip. You know, I mean, I mean uh, in my opinion, on a job, you 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 it's like a a science lab, so to speak, of the world uh, and the conditions that uh, uh, non-white people are in. Uh, and, uh, uh, and associated in a close, much more closer situation with white people. Uh, you're going to have problems out of non-white people. You should expect it when you get up in the morning. You're going to have that as far as that concern and, and uh, develop, develop a, a code of what you're going to be saying and what you're going to be doing, what you're not going to be saying, what you're not going to be doing while you're in uh, non-white black people's company with the idea in mind of uh, of solving problems but not causing any more problems for yourself or someone else as far as that concerned. Uh, another another non-white person uh, specifically. Uh, and uh, just keep your eye on those white people. You know, keep your eye on those white people on a daily basis uh, because more than likely, uh, they are ultimately the people that can harm you. Not fans exclusively now. Uh, non-white people can harm you also, but it may be it, on the job. It'd be pri- primarily under the uh, the guidance of a white person uh, allowing them to do that. Uh, so uh, those are basically just some of my thoughts uh, as far as they're concerned. The whole idea, the whole idea with the uh, not being invited to the party that that it kind of like baffles me. I. I I, I mean, I, I just didn't have a an employment involved in any type of employment like that. Although I, it's not, it's not totally foreign to me. I've heard about it before, but it's just baffling to me as far as not being invited somewhere. You know, as far as that concerned. But uh, that's the only thing I have to say on that. Thank you. For sure. Anyone we haven't heard from at all? Anyone who has a hand up that we haven't heard from? Um, I've, I've spoken, but can I comment on the, the last person who wrote in? Yes, ma'am. Um, I have to agree, and only because so adamantly I have to agree with the previous two callers who spoke about the promotion. Um, I'm in a situation like this is 1842 or Emma, who I'm, you know, whatever. Um, and it, it didn't turn out right either time. And, you know, I... I understand you're 25, you know, ambitious, you want to make more money, who knows what else you have going on. I totally understand that. But both, and I mean, it is also how you work it. So I don't want to say, you know, don't be ambitious and don't go for whatever it is that you want, you know. But I do think that you would really want to, like, weigh out the pros and the cons of what you're doing. Because you may get that you know, pay increase. And yes, you'll have the responsibility, but I'm sure, you know, sometimes some people thrive with a little bit more responsibility, but what else is going to come is being the front face for whatever could go wrong. Um, a whole different element of stress between like coworkers and who now will become like your underlings. So you're going to catch I mean, from the white people and the non-white people. And, um, also just like, there's just so many elements to it. I've had two specific situations, one that I'm currently in now that um, the promotion was a bad thing. And looking back on it, 
I, if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have taken the promotion. Leave me where I'm at as the part-time or the full-time hourly, like bump the salary and all that, like just because the amount of stress that comes with it and it's slightly inexplicable to exp- because each situation is different. So, but both times I look back and I'm just like, I was better off where I was. And um, I just wanted to chime in and say that just not to discourage you. If you, you know, that's what you want. If you like the company you're with, you're with that mission, that's something that you want. I would definitely just give it some, some thought. I don't know how long you've been working there, but I'd also even work there for a little bit longer, like at least a year and a half before really, you know, jumping into anything, just so you really understand. And in the meantime, just really be studying the people who would be above you and the people that you would be like unilateral with, like just give it a lot, a lot of thought, not to discourage you. Cause I think shoot for the moon at the same time, know that there, there's a caveat to that. And sometimes like it is better to just be cool where you are. Um, I also like would catch things from other non-white people uh, like Slack or whatever. I've never been a part of the cool crew, whatever. Um, I consider it a favor. It allows you to stay focused in any downtime that you have. You can be listening to one of the archives or plotting your next move or studying something or just being constructive, um, which you already know because you've made the choice not to, you know, and there's nothing that you can really do about that. People are going to, are going to talk about you um, just because especially if you since listening to the cows, they may not be listening to the cows. So you're just going to be different just the way you carry yourself and the way that you maneuver. Um, but you got it. Thank you. Right on. Uh, folks that if we have not heard from you at all and you do have commentary you want to share, you should go ahead and get your hand up. Do not wait till the last minute. Uh, if other folks uh, have commentary they would like to share, uh, if you have figured out some things that work well, that's always welcome. Uh, if we have any entrepreneurs, certainly dial in, share how being quote unquote self-employed has altered the way you uh, deal with racists on the job. Uh, if you checked your policy and procedure, always want to hear that as well. The number again, 641-715-3640. The code is 564 nine four three pound press star six if you would like to participate uh just check in again anyone we haven't heard from who has a hand up i will assume we got them all hopefully folks are not just hanging out uh other folks have commented they want to share about any of uh what we've heard thus far or their own situation they would like to address feel free Folks are getting themselves together, uh, I will reckon, or maybe everyone is having a grand work experience. I did think some people, it might be that we have some folks who have not really been on the job as much over the last two weeks with all of the horror day stuff finally uh, wrapping up. I even suspect that a good number of people had uh, Monday off this week, so I suspect we probably have some people who've only worked maybe three days or so, uh, maybe maybe three, five days over the last a uh, week and a half, 10 days. So I thought some people might not have as much to share, but uh, 
I think people should still have enough uh, from everything that happened before we got to the holidays with regards to workplace racism that there should never be a dry moment on that conversation. Uh, some of the folks who dialed in with a hand up more recently, did you all have commentary you wanted to share? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, um, 2812. I will mention something that happened before the holidays. Uh, a realtor had uh, referred a client to me. Um, I believe it was a it was a younger white female, age of maybe 22, 23. And um, she needed some advice on cleaning up her credit. But really, she didn't have any credit. And so, you know, I had a conversation with her about a couple of days what to do, here's how you do it, you know, you'll be ready to buy a house in like the next two or three weeks. And she was like, are you serious? Are you? I said, ma'am, if you just listen to what I'm saying to do, I said, we'll get you ready and then we'll be able to move forward and help you buy a house. So like clockwork, she does everything that I ask her to do. Agent and I are following up saying, hey, did you talk to the client or whatever? I said, yes. I said, she'll call me back in three weeks. The young white lady calls me back three weeks and says, hey, can you pull my credit? I did everything you asked me to do. Well, she had a zero credit score, and then all of a sudden she had a 720. Keep that in mind. Um, so a week later, maybe I get a text from the agent saying, hey, um, I'm talking to this client. I'm talking to the client, and, you know, she's she called her credit union, and, you know, she's shopping interest rates and something like that. And I said, like, what is she shopping interest rates for? I said, I, without my advice, she couldn't even got a loan. She didn't have a loan. And so the agent said, well, I want you to call her, and I'm going to put her on three-way so you can try to talk to the client. So I'm just kind of going through my job synopsis. And so I sat down with her, and I'm very polite and courteous, and I'm like, hey, you know, and on one hand, I'm like, why do I even need to talk to you? Because you weren't in a position to purchase or buy or do anything without talking to me in the first place. And in our business, I've never really ever had that happen to where a client comes to you for advice, it works, and then they use somebody else. So the agent is literally on the phone. And, then, and, and now the agent is not white. The agent is a non-white female. And she's like, well, hey, you know, Aaron helped you out and da-da-da-da. But she did, the agent never wanted to say courtesy, you know, or, you know, you should have, uh, I didn't expect her to say respect. But she said, you know, it's just out of common courtesy that the person that helped you do this uh, you know, you should move forward. And I said my piece, and I said, I'd like to earn your business, but if not, I understand you have to do what's best for you. And I just left it at that. You know, I was a little upset, but at the same time, it was tacky, and I figured that's what whites do. <laughs> so fast forward a week later, it's like maybe 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm reading something, and the agent sends me an email. And she says, hey, I want you to read something, by the way. And coming to find out that not only did this young white girl, 23 years old, not use me, but she also fired the realtor. And the realtor said, can you believe that? And I said, no. Uh, I said, yes. I said, I just find it very interesting. That's all I said. I said, yes, it's very interesting. But in the email, the young lady said, hey, I have to do what's best for my family, and I just don't think you and your lender are a good fit for us. And that's all I wanted to share. Doesn't get any better than tacky. <laughs> 23 as well. I think that's important because that's the group that people, oh, the millennials. She was raised with a black president for, you know, almost a half of her life. And she probably listens to Beyonce and Rihanna and Jay-Z and 
Solange, you know, she probably likes all these guys. You know, it's great. What are you talking about? Right? This is the new gen. Don't you believe it or believe it at your own peril. I'll put it that way. Uh, other folks have commentary that they uh, wanted to share. Yes, maybe Eric. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, yeah, there was a interesting incident that occurred. Um, I almost left out of my notes. I was looking, I, I wanted to share. This just has to deal with the dangerous nature of white people. Again, um, mistaking them for your friends. I think there was a, uh, a previous caller who said that he gets, um, he feels that he's being showcased, um, sometimes smiling and, and being being very polite with them. And I believe another caller said something about his voice. And um, I think Neely Fuller has spoken about this, the black man's voice. You know, we, we, we don't mean it, but, but when we're, we're speaking straight and directly to people, white people automatically take a defensive posture and get scared. I was uh, called out to do a repair at a home in a majority white um, neighborhood. In fact, it was literally one of those white picket fence planned communities um, about 20 miles outside of the city. So, you know, I'm on high alert. I'm, I'm, I'm watching my back. Um, so I get to the house and the homeowner's not there. So I'm, I'm doing work on a home and no one is there looking, watching over me. So automatically you got this Negro. You're like, what is this Negro doing with a ladder on the side of the house? Um, so I'm on alert and all of a sudden I see a overweight white male start approaching me from across the street. And, uh, you know, I, I immediately stop. I take a, a very um, neutral position. I square up to him and I say, hey, you must be Mr. So-and-so because I spoke with a uh, presumably white female. Um, he says, no, I'm the neighbor from across the street. He says, um, did your boss come by the other day? He said, I responded, no, my boss, I, I'm the owner of my company. He said, uh, oh, okay, because um, I just saw a guy here the other day. In fact, there were some Mexican guys here the other day across the street, and I had to call the police on them. I said, well, no, I'm not related. I'm not affiliated with that group. Um, he began talking with me, quote, unquote, you know, just kind of friendly and telling me how, um, oh, I enjoy, I enjoy your work. Can you give me a quote on my house? And um, I want to come over and I want you to come over and, you know, do some work on my house. I believe in my mind that that gentleman was armed. I don't have, I didn't print, I didn't see anything on his body, but I believe that man was coming over. I forgot the name of the incident that occurred in, in Texas where the, the robbers were leaving their neighbor's house. And um, I believe he, there, there was an old white man. He shot two non-white males who were, who were fleeing um, from robbing the home and killed them when they told him not to. I believe this gentleman was armed. Um, and that encounter to me just proves how dangerous white people are. Now to compound that issue and the complexity of that issue, well, I finally get to meet the homeowner. We had spoken over the phone. I assumed she was a white female. She was a white female with a name like Tammy, probably a white female. She gets to the house and I meet her. Um, you know, she, of course, um, hops out of a truck. I didn't see who was sitting on the other side of the truck because there was a male driving. All of a sudden, I see when I'm talking to her, the male get out of the truck. He is a non-white. Presumably, he looked black to me. Might have been, you know, quote unquote, Hispanic, or whatever, from uh, a non-white from the Caribbean area. 
But he gets out the car, walks over. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe he works for her. Maybe she's helping him out. He's got a trailer. She says, no, no, something over here, honey. I immediately realized this must be her significant other. Uh, and he's a young guy. She's maybe in her late 40s, very non-attractive white female. Um, and this victim here, horrible, horrible situation, tragic arrangement, um, is in a relationship with her. Apparently, they're married, and um, he is, or they're about to get married, their fiancé, and he's helping her out. You know, I, of course, don't want to come off because I'm, I'm kind of standoffish with white women sometimes, and, and I didn't want to appear like my, my demeanor had changed whenever I saw him. But I was really nice with him. I think, you know, it's a, no fault of his. He's just another victim. She then proceeded to um, pass the payment that she was supposed to pay me. She was supposed to pay me everything up front for the project. Um, she proceeded to pay me half of what she owed me up front. And I'm pretty stern. Uh, the weather was not, was, not, was not very conducive to the work, uh, so I wasn't able to accomplish a lot. But I believe she was practicing racism by purposefully withholding money after we had agreed that she would pay me a set amount on this particular job up front. Um, again, I just, I can't help but realize, I think I was listening to the Wheat Money um, Cows program. It was in my earphone while I was talking to her, and I just couldn't help but realize that, um, but to realize that this woman, uh, although she is, um, you know, lying down with a non-white male, is, is, is consistently practicing racism on a daily basis, um, you know, with him and, you know, without him there. Um, I just wanted to let that, give that experience, and I'll take my call offline. Thank you. These white women, lots of stories with white women today, uh, terrorizing folks uh, on the job. And uh, this one, of course, it can't be racism if, you know, her spouse. I mean, certainly it's it's it is not racism. Uh, it's standard uh, procedure. I think that's uh, one of those as well in terms of having that serious demeanor uh, when you engage with them. Uh, and that's even that. I mean, it, it takes that's why I recommend as well. Just taking some practice uh, when you either if you're at home in front of a mirror. Uh, if you, you know, ha if you're married or if you have a partner or whatever it is and you have other people that you live with, you can have them practice so that you can uh, just get accustomed to how you want to say things so that you won't even have to think about it. This is the tone that I use consistently. These are the words that I'm going to use to articulate my views and what have you. Uh, just if you can get uh, where you have that already established so that you can do it comfortably and you don't have to spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. I think that can be a big help. But just I know for a lot of us, myself included, when you make that effort to just be serious, you're not yelling, you're not cursing, you're not fuming anything and wagging your finger in somebody's face. Just talking ser the way we're talking right now, being serious. And it becomes, oh, my gosh, he was angry and furious and I was just intimidated and so on. That sort of thing. So that's why I say it's important to be serious, but just watching your tone, the way that you present, because they will make that sort of counter argument like you were talking about in this situation. The white woman reneges. She lies. She's agreed that she's going to pay you this amount and then she's not going to do that. Comes up with whatever excuse she has. And then you're just, no, this is a business. This is what we agreed. And then it becomes, oh, man, you know, he was so hostile and nasty over the money. And I, I was just afraid to even deal with him. That's white women are amazing and i would even say white men but white women i think in particular are notorious for that sort of trick racist stunt uh do we have other folks uh who are going to comment other people that we uh have not anyone we haven't heard from who had commentary they wanted to share can i be heard yes sir 
Thank you. Good evening to guests, the hosts, the callers, and the listeners. Um, I live in the Northern Virginia area, but I'm originally from uh, the Deep South. And I wanted to share what I think is one of the best advice, some of the best advice I ever got for um, dealing with anything in the workplace. Um, that advice came in the form of a simple comment, an answer to a question from, from an older gentleman. That advice was never self-actualize on the job. Um, for me, what that means is never get so wrapped up into a job that you pour yourself into it and forget that you don't own the job, someone else does. And if you get too wrapped up in a job or a position, whatever we want to call it, then you're setting yourself up. We're setting ourselves up for greater mistreatment and greater ability for them to do psychological damage for us. Um, and I think over the years, um, when I first heard it, and then the subsequent years, that has helped me so much, that is, to never self-actualize on the job. We don't own it, they own it. They can do whatever they want to with it. And if we don't identify the fact that we are not it, we're not the job, and the job is not us, then whenever the psychological um, um, terror comes, then we feel it greater, and we pass that um, that terror a little bit on to our families. We pass it on to our loved ones, and it feels a, such of a blow to our physical nature that we're really not the person that we need to be because we have poured ourselves so much into the job and allowed them to hurt us to such a degree. And as um, black people, we, I think, automatically do such a thing where we pour ourselves into a job and we try so hard, we put our head down, and we push so hard that we don't see what's, what, what's really happening. So I just want to share that. Never self-actualize on the job. A job is a place where you just go to get your nickels so you can pay for your food and pay for your place to stay. And you do the best you can, but you never self-actualize on the job. You go to work on time. You be on time. You be early. You do what you're supposed to do. But remember, it's not your job. Now, consequently, if you consider not self-actualizing on the job, and I keep repeating that, um, but consequently, if you don't do that, then the best thing for you to do to find where you can self-actualize at is somewhere outside of the job that brings you greater joy because the job is not supposed to do that. Something outside that actually makes you happy and makes your heart beat fast. And a lot of times, um, we just don't have hobbies. We don't take the time for ourselves to find out what our hobbies could be. Or we don't take the time for ourselves to find out what will actually be the thing that makes you want to pour yourself into it. That's not a job. That's all. I'm in my mind, but never self-actualize on the job. Appreciate that. Definitely, I think I've said before, uh, it's important just keeping that in mind uh, that we're still on the plantation uh, when you go on those jobs. I've said that before in terms of not using those possessive adjectives. Uh, my desk uh, is not your desk. It's not even your job. They can, you know, toss you out and get somebody to replace you in the next 
five minutes uh, if they want to. Very important just to keep that uh, perspective. I think that keeps you exactly what the previous caller was talking about. It just keeps you in that perspective uh, from losing sight and, you know, thinking things are, are something other than what they are. This is not your company. It's not your desk. It's not your chair. It's not your computer. I think we had someone who got in trouble before they were using uh, a company cell phone like it was theirs, uh, making text messages and what have you. And that is super important to keep that in mind at all times. Uh, other folks uh, who have comments uh, they want to share, questions, observations? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, good evening, Gus. Uh, good evening to the uh, listeners. Uh, I appreciate uh, the uh, CALS program. I appreciate uh, all the contribution and all the constructive points made from it. But I just have a uh, quick question for you, Gus, uh, and or the uh, callers about how to proceed with some codification. I uh, recently uh, have just been promoted at my uh, plantation, and sometimes my uh, professional cohorts like to do some celebrating in the professional setting and outside of the professional setting. And uh, to my knowledge as of right now, um, I do not know if any of those celebratory events are going to be taking place for me. Uh, but how should I engage with my codification if some of my professional cohorts want to uh, celebrate me departing and leaving to another position? I'll mute my line. Hmm. Uh, we've Other people have brought that up. I think uh, Emmy was just uh, talking about that earlier in terms of transitioning from a job and, and being professional about it and what your code looks like when you are going to transition to a better, hopefully, place of employment if if it's a party like you know they just want to have a cake or go to a bar or whatever it is bring in food or something um just you know hurrah and it was great working with you and all that sort of thing um i don't think you have to participate i've seen where people have said you know that's just not not even mr fuller i heard him say that he worked uh, i think for the bureau of engraving and printing in washington dc it's a federal job uh, Department of Treasury, I think he said he worked there for, you know, over three decades and they, you know, had a big party for him. And he said the same thing. That's just not not my style. I wouldn't care if I worked here for 70 years. <laughs> That's just not me. I don't want a party. Let's just go ahead and do our work and, you know, go about our day. I think he said he went and they had the cake and everything and he left so quick they didn't even know where he, where he, uh, where he was. You can verify and check him. But I've heard... <laughs> other people who said the same thing that they just you know it's not like they can make you uh come and you know sit and eat cake or whatever they're trying to do so you and i mean you can be courteous i appreciate uh the sentiment right. but you know that's just i don't i don't need any attention you know <laughs> let's just go about our day and if i'm if anybody wants to say you know goodbye wish me well that's great but yeah we don't need a, a whole cake and party and all that stuff and I, I don't even i'm not even comfortable doing all that that's just not you know the way i roll you can just give it that way or however you want to word it and uh, i don't i don't think uh, it's anything that they can do thank you can mm -hmm. I be heard? yes ma'am um I, I don't know specifically i would i would agree with gus with uh, finding a savvy way to finagle out of that, come up with some kind of, you know, it's just not my thing or I appreciate the gesture, but no thank you. Um, one of the things I'm doing is kind of just like not addressing it. A lot of people are I'm like letting them know, hey, I'm leaving just because I think it's polite to let people know. 
Um, just because when you, you know, hey, I'm, I'm leaving, just so you know. So it's not like you come in and it's like, where is, you know. Um, and they're like, oh, we should have lunch or let's go out and have drinks. And what I'm going to do is just not mention it. So I'm going to leave and that's going to be the end of it. <laughs> My last day is going to come and then I'm gone. And I'm just coming up with excuses between now and then. Oh, you want to have, I can't have lunch. I'm having lunch with so-and-so. And then the day will come where I won't be there. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, again, thank you very much. Take care. Hope all is well. And that's it. Um, for a big party, I'm not exactly sure. I would just let them know that that makes you uncomfortable. Or you, or, you know, you just don't want to do it that way. It's, you know, it's not constructive. You just don't, you don't want to waste the money. Like you can come up with all kinds of things, you know, that's just not your thing. Um, all right. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you. Yep. Now the art. Yes, sir. Um, on the um, partying aspect of the job, uh, I would suggest to um, limit your availability for the job if you're not being paid for that time, um, particularly with parties. Um, I think it was said prior on the program to set a specific time. Um, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, preferably at the beginning of the party or, or the event, um, just to show face and leave. Um, there's alcohol involved. Uh, I would not take a drink of anything. Um, those things can be held against you at a later time. Um, those things are, are given to you to see how you act once you're inebriated, see how, you, how your movements or how you are out of control. Um, and if it's pressure, just say, no, I don't want to drink and just take a stand. Um, that tends to give you uh, a sense of respect, especially when you're dealing with these racist white men and racist white people. Um, the industry I am, it's, it's a alpha male dominated industry. So you, you know, you must, uh, let them know who you are and what you stand for, what you're not going to stand for. So alcohol is a no-no and limit your time. Don't let them put you in, in a situation where you, you're going to be there three hours at a party um, because all they're doing is they're watching you and they're waiting on you to to do something where they can just stick in it, you know, take it into a file. Um, I just trust everything they do. If they, if they agree on doing something, it has to be something wrong with it. It's not for me. So, um, that's the mindset I take, and I'll meet my line. Thank you, sir. Other comments? Folks want to respond to that situation, or if you have your own incident, we uh, got about 20 minutes before we wrap up, unless folks are satisfied now. Uh, I think uh, Emmy, formerly 1842, uh, I think she had a previous work incident uh she might share with us before we wrap but anyone else uh comments they want to get in questions observation and certainly if if you have figured out something that works well on the job always good to hear that also can i be heard yes ma'am this is not the other one that you were referring to but something that i have found that works well 
is um, it's when I listen to Dr. Welsing speak uh, and when I listen to Mr. Neely Fuller speak and they provide us with constructive things to do that can um, elevate our level of black self-respect um, and just improve our black mental health. Um, one of the things too is like, they don't speak about it this way, but when there is a shift in the way that you think about things, not just simply like acquiring information, but kind of appropriating that information and just changing the scene in your mind. How this relates to work, workplace racism is um, I've always wanted to talk about racism with folks, but now that I'm a little bit more clear, I have some codification, I've got some function and definitions, some names, things have shifted, right? And I've been able to, especially since I'm being able to leave, share some information with some people. And the more that I do it, the higher the black self-respect, the clearer my intention is, it's more effective. One of the female blacks, there's two. There's a one that I spoke with who was like in school and I dropped Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. She took it, ran with it. She was doing her thing. Another one um, is more less inclined to really do research or read or really, you know, she'll talk about things, but it's on a superficial level, which is in no way, shape or form her fault necessarily, all victims, but I've been able to keep all of our conversations focused today, make sure that I'm always bringing it back to these resources, like check this out, asking questions, give me your analysis and all that. She's been requesting some of that kind of uh, conversation and stuff. It could be superficial, but who cares? One thing that I did today, which was really interesting, and it was it made me so happy, um, put us all on a group chat, and the other one who took with the research, she and I began conversing quite intensely about Dr. Welting, and even the ice. And then I was like, we should all get the ISIS papers and read it. I mean, I have it, and the other one has it, but you know, what I'm saying we should all get it so it doesn't feel like this other one feels like, oh, she's the only one who's not hip or whatever. And we should read it and discuss it. And so, because before when we were on this group chat, it was about us going out to happy hour and drinking. Er, stop. We're talking about racism, white supremacy. We're talking about codification. And we're sharing this so we're staying connected in a way that I feel constructive. And um, so we looped her. Well, the conversation just began today. She hasn't really responded, but my, my hope is that when it's not just me or one other person, but it's like a fun thing, um, something that like we could be constructive. Because then the other one was like, well, yeah, we could read it, get together and have drinks. Like in my mind, I'm thinking no to the drinks, but hey, if it gets us reading Isaac's paper talking about Dr. Francis Welsing, we'll see what happens. We'll finagle that. Um, but it seemed very constructive and she was in on the conversation. And so, you know, a way to... Um, to share and to hopefully bring people on board so that they can begin their own process of codification and getting more clear, especially because uh, she has children and things like that. Um, but that happened. I only know them because I work with them. That's it. Thanks. Folks talk to uh, Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Jeff. Go ahead. Finish your statement. Just folks that talked about that uh, before, when you if you are in position where you can leave a job, particularly you can do the professional leave. You didn't curse and, you know, <laughs> drive off and leave skid marks in the parking lot where you have those two weeks or whatever, you know, length of time between when you're going to transition. Uh, and if you work with other black people, hey, 
I have a little bit more freedom now. I can try and share a little bit of information. They can do whatever they want with it. I won't be here to face the repercussions uh, and people saying that they got constructive results. That is uh, grand, something to think about. If you don't, if you feel like it would still be a risk, possibly that they could, you know, maybe go tell some other uh, racists and they could try and sabotage your career down the future. That is certainly something to uh, consider, but have heard a number of people say that they have tried that out and it has worked well. So right on for trying to uh, share constructive info with other victims of racism. Uh, retired firefighter? Yes, uh, I just uh, start off by saying uh, with the uh, celebration type of thing, that, that's, that's, you know, totally out uh, as far as that concerned. Uh, uh, I don't know if retirement is similar to promotion. I, I do know that uh, it, it, it's uh, not unusual to traditionally uh, do something for that quote-unquote person who's retiring and or prom- getting promoted. Uh, in my case, uh, I actually accepted the the uh, the meal situation uh, uh, because of the a couple of the people that I actually trust trusted as far as the the meal is concerned. Uh, matter of fact. Uh, the, the one of the guys is somebody that uh you know I can call him up within five minutes you know uh, after after uh the program as far as that concern uh we stay in contact with one another uh but uh about maybe about because I had contacted the chief and uh and uh, because there was a, I was told there was an opportunity that uh you know I didn't have to stay the full twenty four hours uh meaning from seven a m to seven the next morning. So after that meal, after, after that deal that everybody prepared to, uh, and you know, you don't always get to do this, uh, which is go in and, and sleep for the night as a firefighter, uh, because you know, your, the, the emergency calls may take place any, any given point in time. But, uh, I guess by the time they uh, went on a call about two or three o'clock in the morning, I was already gone, already gone forever as far as they're concerned. But, uh, anyway, uh, uh, it was something else I was going to say about uh, it. Uh, oh yeah, as far as on the on on the job and 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 uh, relating to another non-white uh, victim of racism uh, about uh, white supremacy. Uh, actually, in my case, I was fortunate enough to uh, to uh, have that with three other non-white black males. Uh, the first situation, it was two black males, and we actually met on a quote-unquote protest where the black firefighters were protesting the union uh, uh, itself and, you know, picket, picketing the, the, the union itself. And what kind of like uh, made a situation stick to where as we still uh, communicate with one another today. A matter of fact, one of them I just got to talking to about maybe – a couple of hours ago, uh, and we actually met that day. It was some it was somewhere back in 1984 or 1983, something like that. Uh, they were out there picketing, and then the white guys just came outside and said, "Hey, any one of you guys who want to come in and get some coffee and donuts, uh, come on in." And everybody went. All of the black males went in to the union office. The very same people that they were picketing except for us three. <laughs> and, 
and, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, we, we've been in contact with one another uh, uh, ever since then, uh, literally. Uh, and uh, I met Mr. Fuller over one of these guys' house, December 7th, 1990. Uh, we have personally met Dr. Fans Chris Wilson. And, uh, I, and on, on, on a, not, not necessarily a routine basis, but on a basis every now and then when I had a question, you know, one thing about, we, we all know about Dr. Wilson that you can, you can call her up and if she wouldn't answer that phone, she will call you back. She would call you back. So the relationships that, you know, that I was fortunate enough to have, uh, uh, you know, sometimes it does happen, you know, right there on the job, those, those three people. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's been very productive. Uh, we don't even go over each other's houses unless we have some sort of constructive agenda, you know, as far as that concerned, if, I mean, well planned out agenda, we don't even go to each other's homes or anything like that. Uh, we, we, we would, if we're calling each other on the phone, it is for something that I have already thought about. And I kind of like maybe wanted this person to, to give their opinion on it or, or vice versa or something like that, you know, very codified, uh, that I, I get a lot of practice with it. So, and, and this program certainly also helps it also. And, uh, it started, it started in the workplace. Thank you. Some folks have said they have had some success. I mean, it, it is not, uh, it's not like it can't happen. Uh, I know some people have certainly had the experience as well uh, where it didn't work out that great. But, I mean, hey, that is phenomenal. Uh, if it can be two, three, even one is great. But two, three, uh, folks, we all have constructive uh, exchange and can mention literature. Uh, people that have uh, great ideas on racism, that is awesome, 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 and can be really effective uh, in helping you kind of limit, minimize uh, racism in the workplace or just strategize about how you want to deal with things. If you have, you know, one, two other people who are a little bit less confused, you all can have that dialogue, man. Other folks, anything they want to make sure they get in before we uh, get ready to close things out about uh, eight minutes before we get ready to wrap things up. Hopefully we did not miss anyone who had a hand up. Uh, if they had something they wanted to uh, share, I think everyone who dialed in at whatever point during the program who had a hand up, I think uh, we got all the callers' uh, questions or observations. Please do not wait till the last minute. You have something you want to make sure you get in. And again, to remind folks to make sure uh, workplace, uh, not workplace journal. Sorry, that's not uh, that was not what I wanted to make sure I got in. Uh, remind folks, uh, number one, we'll be here tomorrow uh, for the book club. Uh, Gwen Eiffel, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we are almost done. I think tomorrow is uh, second to last. We'll be done next week and moving on to a new book the day President-elect Trump is inaugurated. But that's down the road. Tomorrow, Gwen Eiffel, session five, the breakthrough politics and race in the age of Obama. And then Saturday, we'll be here for the uh, compensatory call in 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, tune in. We'll catch up news observations uh, past seven days. Now, <clears throat> with workplace racism, uh, just to remind folks uh, to, again, check your policy and procedure. Uh, hadn't, we haven't really heard anyone uh, for a few weeks, it seems, uh, who's talked about or 
shared anything from policy and procedure. Again, that's something I would encourage folks review and to not wait until you have a problem to look at your policy and procedure. That document can tell you a lot about your company. Uh, if it's sloppily put together, then I think Roz said that that document and what it looks like, how it's treated, that lets you know everything you need to know about that company right there in terms of how they're going to treat you and how they do business. So Look it over that way. You'll know what the policy is. I've said consistently that a lot of times one of the ways they practice racism is that they do not apply rules in the same manner to black people where they will either not enforce policy and procedure with whites if they are violating the rules or not following what the policy is and what have you. Whereas black people, it's exact right. opposite. We want to be as punitive as possible uh, when they go about enforcing rules regulations uh, on the job, any violation, and, and then to see if we can find anything else that we can add on as opposed to one violation, we can make it 10 violations uh, of code. So be familiar with your, your policy and procedure, and you can also add that to your notes if you're seeing where it hasn't been a problem with you. You're not in trouble. Everything is going okay for you, at least at the moment. But you can look at that policy and procedure and see where there are violations or where they are not doing things uh, equally with regards to employees. That Those are things that can be included in your notes. So if something does come up down the road, you are the one. It's not a one-time thing, but it's a myriad of things that are not happening correctly that should be addressed uh, on the job. So just check that policy and procedure out. And if any of the passages, a paragraph or a sentence uh, stands out for whatever reason, make sure to share on the program. Just want to make sure folks are remembering to do that. Anything else people need to get in before we get ready to wrap up? Folks satisfied for the evening? Is there still time for me to share the the rewrite, the evaluation of the experience? I believe so. Okay. Then I will take some time and do that because... Um, I was flipping through it, and uh, I'll just, I'll give it to y'all, the way that I wrote it. I won't edit it, just so, you know, keep it honest, keep it 100. Um, so, I'm recounting a traumatic experience here so I can officially heal and let it go. Dan Barely, white male terrorist, psychopath, narcissist, race soldier. If I had known then what I know now, I would have been, I would have seen this coming, but in my ignorance, I fell to folly. December 2012, I graduated May 2011, began working as a pharmacy tech August 2011, for CVS getting paid a dollar and some change per hour less than a white girl with no education, no experience, me, a bachelor's degree, state and national certification, over five years of pharmacy tech experience. Um, anyway. So a friend from high school hit me to the a community service board, which provides services for uh, mental health. And I was elated because that's where I wanted to work. So I got the job and I began working as a residential counselor uh, around December 12th. Early 2013, the white, and some of these dates, like I haven't read over this, so I'm just going to give it to y'all. Anyway, by early 2013, the white male gay manager who hired me was moved and replaced by Dan Barely, the psychopath. He shortly fired, or she quit, the non-white black female residential counselor, too. They had gotten into it, and she never returned and never spoke about it, at least with me. I was so hungry for money, I student loans, um, for a title, I wanted to be important, uh, for upward growth, 
I didn't want to just stay where I was. Uh, looking back, I remember a young African woman telling me that I to move slowly and not rush into something I might not have been ready for, and I didn't listen. I had thought maybe she was hating on me, jealous, um, trying to hold me back, or just didn't understand my situation and the need for the money. This is for the woman who was talking about the promotion, just a side note. Anyway, Dan slowly got uh, rid of most and all of the black people that worked at the group home. After the RC2 left, the position was open, and I immediately began buying for the job. I worked extra hard. I stayed late. I came in early. I worked overtime. I covered any open ship. I cooked. I cleaned. I just did all kinds of extra work for the individuals and for the group home. I would say things to Dan like, see, this is why you should make me the RC2. Dan would always uh, invite me out for drinks, specifically wine. Um, I was smart enough to decline that. He would send, uh, spend a lot of time talking about his wife and kids. He would always say that she was a quote-unquote good girl and how he would have loved to be a stay-at-home dad, but she wouldn't let him stay at home even though she made most of the money. He would go on about his mother who would chase her sleeping pills with wine. He would talk bad about the manager before him. Essentially, because he was gay, he would call him a weak. Dan claimed he grew up around mostly black people and uh, asked me to identify smell he remembered from black girl's hair. He finally um, settled on the smell being coconut oil and then told me that I smelled like coconut oil. To get the job, I had to open my unopened degree and text picture of it to him. He alleged that in a meeting with the decision makers that they wanted to see it. He alleged that these higher ups didn't want to hire a black person for the position, um, but he vouched for me, so that's supposedly how I got the job. He would make demands of the other girls, white ones, who he cherry-picked. It was like all at once, all the black people were gone, um, and then he hired all these white people in their place. Um, he put about three or four of this, like three to four of pretty much the same white girl. And um, one time he had one of them take his laundry to his house because his machine was broken, and he had done it at the group home, and they did it too. And although that was incorrect behavior towards other white people, it doesn't, it just goes to uh, exemplify how whites who perceive their power abuse it whenever possible over people they perceive to be in a weaker position. He would test me to see how I would react to certain things. For instance, I would get uh, super cold and turn the heat on. He would comment on how hot it was and say it was the Neanderthal in him and then look at me. I must have been a little smarter than I've given myself credit for because um, he used to call me elusive. He hated that I was not 100% transparent or open with him. And once we got into what seemed like an argument and in a raised voice, he was like, why don't you trust me? I need you to trust me. My response was uh, clear. I don't have to trust you so long as what you're doing is correct and beneficial to the individuals we support. I don't have to trust you. And he hated that. Once he tricked me into coming into his house, we were running errands and um, – for the group home. He said he had to make a quick stop by his house to grab something. I didn't know how he got me to come into his house, but I do know I was uncomfortable when I was there. When you walk in, and I I wrote as much detail as I could just because I wanted to get it all out. So anyway, when you walk in, there's some small steps to the right that lead to a den. There was a bookshelf filled with books. Um, I busied myself there while he did whatever he was doing. When he returned, he pulled a book off the shelf and asked me to read a little while he sat in his chair and I sat on the floor. I think this is something he and his wife would do, read to one another. I know I wasn't uncomfortable because I felt so weird afterwards. 
I made a mistake thinking that I could share some racial social justice theater I was doing with a company called TCP um, with all the whites that I was working. I was completely uncodified, completely ignorant, y'all. I even posted on our uh, one of our posters in the, in my office for folks to uh, come and see it. Dan came one night, and that's when he heard me speak about white people. And I didn't know he was in the audience that night. And I, what I had, one of the things I had said to the audience, I posed the question was. Um, what is it about the psychology of the people who do what white people have done? And um, I think he came and said hello to me after the performance. I introduced him to the director, and he later told me he was so disturbed that he drove all the way back, which is an hour from where I was, you know, with the windows down. Um, anyway, I'm very certain that that was the beginning of the end for me there at that company. Dan had seen too much of who and what I am and how I think and feel to be able to hide his contempt for me. He would increase and intensify his terrorism, terroristic attacks to, towards me. I recall once after having um, thoroughly trained these new white girls, I left for an hour early to beat traffic for rehearsals. When I returned to work the following day, I was no in way, no way prepared for what awaited me. And now, mind you, I'm the assistant group home manager. The meeting began with Dan telling me that I fucked him over in front of everyone. I was mortified and humiliated. His clique of white winches colluded together, as white people do, to tear me down and traumatize me, terrorize me, and make me feel like a shell of myself. Those white people couldn't bear to see, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to be slightly egoic here, to see one, a beautiful black female with a degree certifications in theater, doing everything and loving life. They needed to see this uppity nigger be brought down. So that's what they did. I remember this one white female who didn't even work at the same location as me, but was filling in for a time, approached me with some sheer racist nonsense. Her. It's not that I don't like you, but, and I never effed with her anyway. Remember that I, this time in training when, um, I'll skip this part, I won't read, I'll tell you. So we were sitting in training, she was about my age, everyone else is older, we're slightly thinner, people are larger, it was cold. So I actually was like, we're cold only because we're skinny, not realizing that it was going to make big people feel some type of way. Um, but she, you know, everyone else is white, I was the only black person. So I was really trying to be friends with her saying like, oh, you know, like we're freezing just because we need to eat now, eat more. But anyway, she colluded with the white people and I called them these white winches. But by then, I couldn't care less about this female. She was also jealous because there was an African man um, who was really gorgeous, um, and he was attracted to me. And uh, he tried to pursue me, but I didn't. I'm skipping a little bit to try to speed this up. And um, I believe that that white wench tried to spread a rumor that we had had sex. Um, and even Dan confronted me about this, which is a lot. Like, that never happened. So she spread this rumor. When looking back on that experience, I just think to myself how much I used to do for my job, the people I supported in the group home. Once I was driving on the way to rehearsals, I got a call from one of the African females who had been there longer than me and who did not like that I had been promoted for those females who were thinking about promotion. Called me and cussed me out because she wanted to call off last minute and she had habit of doing this and I didn't allow it to happen. Um, I'm going to skip into isolate. I hated working in that environment. Um, with these racist and racist suspects, it wore me out and did a number on my level of self-respect and my mental health. I slaved there. Everything hit the fan when I put in my two weeks. They said I would have to stay for a month. I did um, find that in the writing, so I did. I had uh, suspected or supported um, because I'd known 
anyway, Skip, um, I don't know. I must be frustrated at this point. I did a substantial amount of writing, and I was very enrolled. And Oh, this is, okay. So looking back, there's so much I would have done differently. Um, I would have stayed in RT1, meaning I wouldn't have become, I didn't want the promotion. Um, I would have never brought my laptop to work. Um, I almost forgot that he threatened me with a blog post that I had written about him calling him psychotic. And he, um, I can't read that anyway to, oh, he uh, twisted my slang in another post, making it seem that I had been drinking at work. And what I had said was I had went to work on a bottle of liquor, not that not the same as I went to work with a bottle of liquor. It's, it's, if you speak, you know, anyway, not the same thing. And I still don't know if he zoomed in on the camera and was able to see my blog or someone else was spying on me for him or he was spying on me. I would have never shared my theater work. I would have never gone to his house. I would have never talked about anything other than work or weather. I would have only done my job as specified in my contracts or like in my duties. I would have never allowed myself to be disrespected. I would have had a voice recorder. I would have told somebody and filed a formal complaint. I would have taken voracious notes. I would have talked more with people about what was going on. I would have stayed part-time and um, I would have been more quiet and invisible so that I could watch other folks. And that's it. Wow. We, <laughs> uh, I've said, I think it can be helpful uh, to review. Uh, it, I think also can be just, Stunning uh, when you look back, when you have a better grasp that racism, white supremacy is war. And then you look back and see the level of uh, collusion and how many different ways that they're practicing racism, the surveillance. That's why I say that all the time. Like you should just assume that you're being watched uh, while you are on the job, uh, whether it's physically with the other whites that you're around or if they're using electronic surveillance or whatever it is, you should just uh, assume that. That's why I said just have that in mind. So you are very honest with yourself uh, about what we're dealing with. Uh, and do that on a daily basis so that you don't, you know, minimize it so that you don't take that for granted uh, that this is serious, uh, that you're going in every day and working with folks who are your enemies uh, and they want to see you fail. The last thing they want to see is you doing well and promotions and raises. That is simply not the case uh, if you are black in the system of racism, white supremacy. If you're non-white, uh, that's just that's what it means. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I think, again, we heard the role of uh, white women in all of this. Uh, and again, I think that same pattern, even going all the way back to where we started out with uh, Tyrus Wong, uh, you can work as hard as you as you possibly can. Uh, miss all of your rest and uh, ruin your sleep cycle and miss all of your family events and, you know, skip lunch and just grind yourself away day after day after day. Uh, and I just have not seen evidence that that impresses whites to the point to say, well, yes, we're not going to mistreat this nigger. They have worked hard and slaved and we're going to give her a promotion. No, it just means, oh, we got a lot of work out of that dinger. Let's figure out what we can get her to do next before we fire her or mistreat her or whatever. Try and spread some other lie or rumor that she's, you know, sleeping around with everybody in the building. Standard operating procedure. This is what it means to be white. Uh, again, I'll just say workplace racism every Thursday. We'll be here again tomorrow, same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And if you have commentary, questions, suggestion, you need help finding something in the archives, drop us an email. We will hook you up until justice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com.
com and feel free to drop me uh, a letter again if you don't hear back sometimes it does go to spam or wherever else uh, or I forget I just uh, neglect uh, to get back to someone so feel free to write again if you didn't get a response and uh, still need answer to your question uh, thanks everyone for tuning in hope it was a constructive investment of your Thursday evening sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy we can carry that forward in 2017 you never know when you will bump into Daniel Holtzclaw Darren Wilson, any other white person, race soldier, badge or no. They are dangerous. Alcohol, cannabis, tobacco, any other narcotics. That's not going to help us end white supremacy. And the evidence shows that unequivocally. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Context of white supremacy signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.